April 29, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well out uh, in your semi-quarantine situation, staying safe, staying smart, because now um, it looks like things are going to start opening back up a lot uh, in a lot of places, at least in limited capacity in just the last few hours. I'm recording this um, right around like 4 Pacific time or so. We've seen uh, a couple different racetracks like Churchill, um, uh, recently Texas, uh, Lone Star. They said they're going to be opening up some of the, the backsides to let uh, the horses back in on the grounds, and they have plans now for moving forward with racing without spectators. Santa Anita Horse Racing put out their next condition book, which means and they look like they're um, pointing for April the 15th or May the 15th as a, a day that they look like they're going to get back to racing. And, and I'm going to talk about baseball. They uh, are lots of different things floating around in baseball right now. I'm going to go through this really good Jeff Passan article and talk about um, a lot of the, I guess, issues they're facing and discussing and their plans. And the rest of this show will be a f- huge NFL draft recap with uh, our buddy Eric we're going to go through every single team. I mean, we really get into them. We give them grades. We talk about maybe where they went wrong, what we liked, positives, negatives. For every single team, we spend over two hours breaking down everything. I mean, you, you won't find a, a much more in-depth, in-detail draft recap than this. And then we'll give you some horse racing. We'll go Thursday, Gulfstream, Thursday, Oaklawn. Friday Gulfstream, and then we'll spend a little more time on that Friday Oaklawn with the really good stakes races late in the card there. Kick back and enjoy, and we will get right on into baseball. So this is an article that I'm going to be reading a lot of and just kind of reacting to from Jeff Passan. This was from a couple days ago on ESPN. The, you know, the baseball season should be one month old, um, like right now, this weekend. So here are some of the, the latest. Um, Jeff says that the baseball world is doing everything it can to prepare for games without any firm plan in place when or where those games will be played. Uh, Commissioner Manfred wrote, While I fully anticipate baseball will resume this season, it's very difficult to predict with any accuracy the timeline for the resumption of our season. And that was a, a, a letter sent to the managers, employees, coaches, scouts, and all other non-players and personnel. So, baseball would like to lock in a plan before the country reopens, um, which, you know, we're starting to see it reopen now, but that's, you know, good and bad. There's a certain level of risk there. Like, baseball could easily wait till the end of May to figure out the plan and still be the first sport to return. The sooner it decides, uh, the more games it gets. So, where are games going to be played? The easy answer is Arizona. Governor Doug Ducey has welcomed the idea of hosting all 30 teams, but there's also a variety of so-called hub plans in which baseball would station teams in a set number of cities, like Arizona, Dallas, Tampa, um, like a four-city, five-city plan. Uh, would be something like starting in early May, Arizona, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Colorado, Minnesota are all the states uh, slated to have at-home restrictions lifted. That means more than a quarter of baseball teams could theoretically host games without fans right now. Korean Baseball Organization and the Chinese Professional Baseball League are coming back. Um, English Premier League 
hoping to come back a Serie A, La Liga, the KBO is set to return that. So that's the Korean baseball organization. May the fifth, five weeks after its scheduled opening day, Chinese professional baseball league is up and going, and the whole the top soccer leagues hope to return in June and have a quarantine plan similar to the one that we've talked about with MLB, will where the teams would be quarantined. In you know Arizona, possibly everyone there, um, only going in and out to certain places, back and forth, tested all the time. We're gonna get after this. We're gonna mention a couple of the uh, new things that have recently been uh, come out in the last couple of days about baseball. One of them was a plan that would be completely sort of radical with all sorts of different divisions and everything. So continuing on from this uh, article, um, according to a report, a uh, uh, like a. A concern would be that any tests used on players won't be available for healthcare workers. So what the plan for some of these leagues are to do would be to donate five test kits for every one used by the league. Another vital question for MLB that Jeff asked, will it be widespread enough that the league could reasonably test players, managers, coaches, umpires, and many others involved with making games work? Widespread testing was supposed to be in April. U.S. per capita testing rates are not good compared to the rest of the world. Baseball officials were told that it would be feasible in May, and it isn't. MLB, because of finances, um, might experience with, with, because of its financial might and experience with drug testing, would be able to procure a certain, a sufficient amount of tests. MLB is hunting for hundreds of smart thermometers, and so are businesses um, and other hospitals. So, all this gets back to having a plan by the end of May. You know, so those those optics don't look good, right? So that's why you have to wait a little bit. Baseball's looking for testing while other people are still looking for testing and stuff in hospitals and they're not doing well. You have to just wait a little bit longer. That's that's really the key. Is this this has been for kind of the same thing that you you read when you read all of the articles about all of these sports wanting to start back up. We need to be able to have completely widespread testing for everyone and then we can really Talk about how you can control and monitor things much, much better. So they want to finalize the plan in May. Hash out an agreement with the players by the end of the month or early June. Give the players a week to arrive at a designated spring training location. Prepare for three weeks. Start the season in July. Play around 80 to 100 in game season in July, August, September, October. Hold an expanded playoff at warm weather Neutral sites in November This is not set in stone But from the league to the players to the owners To the TV executive It seems like it's going to be Some Some form of this That's the the best like Most realistic option for getting baseball back One of the scenarios a Three plan hub uh, Three hub plan in a 100 game season In July and August 10 teams at each hub Every team plays two to three game series against all nine opponents. That's 54 games. With travel practically non-existent, Phoenix, Dallas, Tampa each have five stadiums within an hour radius. That sort of schedule is eminently doable. It also offers the ability to reassess the status of the country come September. That's a best case scenario. Of course, like if a second wave of coronavirus arrives and threatens to shut everything down again. That's one thing that's being discussed and... Um, There was actually an article that recently came out about this uh, from Bob Nightingale on Tuesday, the 28th. 
It says Major League Baseball officials have become cautiously optimistic that the regular season will start in late June and no later than uh, early July, playing at least 100 games, uh, according to executives with knowledge. Um, it would not only would be baseball; it would be played in their own major league ballparks, albeit with no fans. So this is even more than a hub. This is saying that MLB is considering a three division, ten team plan in which teams play only within their division. A concept gaining support around the owners and executives. It would abolish the traditional American and National leagues, realign the divisions based on geography. The plan is pending approval of medical experts. Um, and it would and provide testing available to the public would eliminate the need for players to be in isolation and allow them to play at their home ballparks while reducing the travel. So that here's a look at the realignment. There would be three divisions. There'd be the East, it'd be the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, the Nationals, the Orioles, the Phillies, the Pirates, the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Marlins. The West would be the Dodgers, the Angels, the Giants, the Oakland A's, the San Diego Padres, Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, Texas Rangers, Houston Astros, Seattle Mariners. So the Dodgers and the Astros would be in the same division. That would be a lot of fun, right? And then the Central would be the Cubs, the White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, the St. Luke's Cardinals, Kansas City Royals, Cincinnati Reds, Cleveland Indians, Minnesota Twins, Atlanta Braves, Detroit Tigers. I mean, I don't know. I'm fine with games schedules being completely reduced that one seems a little bit weird though but the reason why this one's different and people like this one is because you know like Kershaw and Trout they talked about not wanting to be away from their families for so long one of the additional benefits to playing in major league cities is it would alleviate a possible split among players who are opposed to playing the entire season in Arizona Florida Texas MLB and union officials have yet to engage in formal discussions about the financial ramifications of playing without fans um the most encouraging sign is that testing is becoming more available, yeah. MLB teams will still likely return to their own spring training facilities in Arizona and Florida when they resume workouts. Players are expected to be given a week or so to return to spring training sites, have 18 to 21 days before the start of the season. So that was the day after this article of Jess Passons that i am been going through right now. So, you know, that's one kind of radical different idea that he had kind of talked about um, in different ways. He talked about the, the hub, the three hub plan. Well, that one is more of you get to play at your own ballparks, but they just are going to cut travel a whole ton because they're going to have everybody on the West Coast in one division, everybody in the Central, and then everybody on the East Coast in another one. They even said, give us 60 days, one official said. Uh, we could run an amazing tournament. It would function like a baseball World Cup. Six hubs, five teams per hub. Um, hub teams by division or by geographic location. Let's go by division for now as Jeff lays this plan out. October 1st through 20th, every team plays a four-game series against each division opponent with a day off in between. The two best teams from each division advance. October 22nd through 31st, six American League teams that advance congregate at one hub. Six National League teams gather at another. They play each of the other team, the other five teams twice in a round-robin format, a day off in the middle. Four teams with the best records in each league advance. In the meantime, the non-advancing teams from each league, they play one game against the rest of the teams, and the winner of that regains entry into the playoffs. 
In the case of a tie, there's a winner advance to a one game into the playoffs. So this is cool. It gives you you don't you don't have to necessarily you can lose right away and still have another opportunity to get back in. Gives everybody a, a set games. Now you're in November. You've got the playing winner facing the four seed, um, and you've got the uh, in, in a one game wild card. The winner advances to face the one seed. Um, you've got a five game division series. Uh, from November's third, um, November three through the ninth, and then November eleventh on, you got a seven-game league championship series. Standard days off. Winners advance to the World Series, and then at the end of November, you got a seven-game World Series with regular days off. That's sixty days on the dot. <laughs> this happy Thanksgiving. Each team would be guaranteed twenty-four games, one full month of baseball. Every game matters, but you can stumble in the first round and not necessarily be a season ender. It's kind of cool. That's fun. Right, it's looking like we're gonna get the opportunity to play more games than that, and we don't wouldn't have to do something that crazy. It's looking like we never know, right? Another wave of this stuff can come, and then everything changes again. But this would be, this is fun to to think about. So the Arizona plan, remember, would basically turn uh, MLB into a city without a city. All thirty teams travel to the Phoenix area. They stay at hotels, travel only to stadiums to play games, along with team personnel. Those working at the hotels would quarantine themselves, uh, the bus drivers, food service workers, and others. It would basically be a biosphere that contained thousands of people um, in constant testing. So this is the preferred method of uh, epidemiologists, uh, including Dr. Ali Khan, advising MLB on how to safely approach this season, but the players don't want to separate from their families. There's a major incentive um, because everybody needs a season. If there is not baseball, instead of a $4 billion plus in salary that the players are owed, they get $170 million that they negotiated because that money runs out at the end of May. The players head into a year when the collective bargaining agreement expires and the owners are going to be looking for a fight to get as much money back as they can to make up for their losses. Everybody gets a year older. Player uh, agreement grants players a full year of service in the event of a lost season. Those who reach free agency are greeted with a depressed market. So it's just no good for anyone. They Baseball has to come together right now. And make a deal uh, because, man, real live games right now of any sport would just be so massive. They would be on a sporting, la- a quote unquote, sporting landscape with literally nothing else. I mean, we're we're only seeing horse racing and wrestling live going right now. The NFL draft was the highest rated NFL draft of all time last week. People were just salivating for sports. This would give baseball a chance to sell the sport with a blank canvas of television production. And I like what Jeff Passan says here uh, following. An avenue to make the stars they've lacked and an investment in the future. Even if this year is a loss for all parties, you're kind of building again. You're getting a lot of eyeballs back on you and maybe you're you're recreating fans, um, people that will come back to the game. This is a, a partnership between players and owners, but among players... Um, you know, like we've said again, Trout and Kershaw, they did not like the Arizona plan. They shook their heads. They, uh, Others were, were the opposite way. They just want to play. They've got bills to play. They don't mind if they have to live in quarantine. Everybody needs to come together. 
and we're talking like regional sports networks could carry game um, that carry games. They need to, you know, they're going to be having to figure things out with national TV deals and fair distribution between all of them and the teams. This is going to get weird because not all the sports are going to come back right away, right? So if it's baseball that's first, whichever one comes back first, automatically instead of the your local channel that you watch your baseball team on. All of the national channels, you know, ESPN, Fox, like NBC, ABC. I'm sure all of those those channels are going to be looking for whatever's live to play on their on their channels, and they're going to be paying up big for it. So the now these deals that have been worked out are all going to have to be renegotiated. National TV deals are going to probably change. Um, one thing, you know, one year without baseball is unlikely to bankrupt any team. But the financial situations of several teams are shaky. And it's things like inability to pay down debt or lack of resources from other businesses to generate cash flow to help cover the team. Um, cancellation of the season could you know, lose teams' lines of credit in future years. Um, lack of access to cash uh, with you know, no fans coming in. So... There's a lot that they're still deciding too, and this is all comes down to money, right? Once MLB makes its plan, they got to get the ownership approval. Money's going to be an issue, and it all goes back to the deal that these players signed with the owners in late March. Some of the teams are saying that they could actually lose money if games are played. They say that local and national TV money will not cover their operating costs, and if that's the case, they want the players. To take even less money Even though they've already agreed to take less money So they want them to take even less than what they said But uh, a lot of officials said this is probably more of a bluff They don't think MLB will lose money if they're playing So there was an agreement in a, of the relationship in, in some really weird wording When they talk about resumption of play The agreement says uh, Absent con- uh, consent by the the office of the commissioner, the 2020 championship she's, season shall not be commenced unless and until each of the following conditions is satisfied. And the final one of those conditions says the commissioner determines after consultation with recognized medical uh, experts and the players' association that it does not pose an unreasonable health and safety risk to players, staff, or spectators to stage games in front of fans in each of the 30 clubs' homes, ballparks. Provided that the office of the commissioner and players association will discuss in good faith the economic feasibility of playing games in the absence of spectators or at the appropriate substitute neutral sites. And then later in the same agreement it says player compensation and benefits if and when the conditions exist for the commencement of the 2020 championship season. So there could be arguments in there because that language is really fishy. It's weird. You got conditions, commenced, commencement. Um, it ties together um, resuming play with player benefits and that when you resume play, it depends upon the discussion of what's economically feasible. You see how weird this is and how like gray it, like this language is? It's super fuzzy and it's like this. both of these teams, both sides are going to be able to argue back and forth and back and forth. The real key that Jeff kind of goes to into afterwards is that both sides recognize their weapon, um, and 
and if they hold out, it's going to be it's, it's not good for anyway anyone because their businesses are already suffering. They don't need to suffer more. And long-term financial consequences are real. Players are the ones that seem like they have, you know, a little bit more uh they can put their foot down a little bit more, right? They if they play, they're going to be the ones that possibly have to be leaving their families and are like sequestered for months at a time. They're the ones whose health could be a greater risk. They've done nothing to prompt uh, a lessening of their salaries. Like anything, it's going to come down to compromise. Issue for owners is, um, you know, cash flow and future earnings. They don't know how to project those earnings now. This is just. Yeah, it's like you just think you're going to start right back up, but there's so many things. You know, players want their money now. Other other players want don't mind waiting. They might have to do things like um defers, right? Um Max Scherzer, Ken Griffey Jr., Strasburg, uh, Helton, Matt Holiday agreed to deferrals. Chris Davis get, gets paid to 2037. We all know about Bobby Bonilla. He gets 1.1 million dollars. Every July 1st from the Mets until 2035 So this might have to be something That we get some money now But you get more money later But if you do that Then you have to get interest later So And the the one thing that you've heard That Jeff mentions too is Every plan alludes to no fans in the stadiums That's that's most likely The notion that fans won't come to games Until there's a vaccine Meaning deep into next year um, That does The owners don't love that It's going to be you know Maybe half filled stadiums at some point Social distancing rules And It's not going to be like the sports That we know for at least a, a long time And now what ends up happening to the minor leagues? Well, we got an article today um, and some information I'm reading from SB Nation that no minor league baseball in 2020 because baseball will be expanding their rosters instead. According to multiple agents representing minor league players, messaging went out on Wednesday there will be no minor league season. Instead, baseball will expand rosters for a condensed big league season. There will be a subsequent development league training and potential playing games out of spring training facilities. Expecting to report in the next three weeks, one source said via text. They're expecting this season to start in late June. This is on the heels of the NBA opening some of their facilities, which they've kind of gone back and forth on. They pushed it back a little bit longer than their initial uh, opening plan. So, no minor league baseball. Which was kind of which was Jeff's next topic, but now we have a kind of an update to that, and then he gets into the Red Sox, which we talked a lot about last week, right? And this is great, so I, I love this. Are the Red Sox innocent? This is and these are this is Jeff Passon's words, not mine. Are the Red Sox innocent? No, of course not. They cheated. Says so right in Manfred's report. They use technology to help seal signs that is explicitly against the rules. Breaking the rules is cheating. This isn't difficult. I like what he says here though What is hard is the differentiating levels of cheating What the Red Sox did was wrong It's also the sort of thing that players believe Was relatively common among teams in 2018 Which is what we hear It does not in any way absolve the Red Sox They did it, they got caught, they deserve punishment That punishment was The loss of a second round draft pick Their replay coordinator JT Watkins 
and one can argue the punishment fit the crime that the video picking Boston did was essentially jaywalking, right? That, of course, ignores the fact that the Red Sox were patient zero of electronic sign stealing. This wasn't like they just jaywalked and they have zero history, right? They jaywalked with a. When you have a history of crime and you do a little something and you get caught, you got. It's, it's worse, usually, right? The, pen, the punishment is worse. Well, that was not the case here. So, you know, ignores the fact the Red Sox were patient zero of an electronic signs dealing with the illicit use of an Apple Watch in 2017, or that a year before they ran a foul international signing rules too. Even if Red Sox executives, as Manfred wrote, endeavored to stay on the straight and narrow. We, I loved this part too, right? The Red Sox execs did such a great job. They are still responsible for the entirety of what happened in the same way that Houston's owner, ex-manager, and GM are to their organization. What Houston did was undoubtedly worse than Boston. From what we know, that's what it seems, sure. The Astros fed pitch types to hitters at the plate. The Red Sox fed sign sequences to runners on second and base. One's felonious, others a misdemeanor. Felony misdemeanor, right? And yet a second round pick and targeting nobody but the low man on the totem pole? If MLB wanted to disincentivize teams from using technology to steal, hitting the organization harder to send a message would at the very least have made up a little for the league not pursuing discipline against the players who participated in all of the schemes. I don't want to cheat, one executive said, but it almost feels like it's worth it now. Which has been my gripe all along You're going to create this culture now Where everybody says Oh sure let's just cheat It's a big deal Who cares We're not going to get popped How long does losing a draft pick affect Boston? Well baseball recently um, Is going to shorten the draft To as few as 5 rounds Which is going to make your picks Way more valuable right? Uh, it says, especially for a team like Boston that has a bad farm system, the 52nd pick, which they lost, carried a $1.4 million slot value too, so that's money they won't be able to spend as they try to, you know, re, re you know, uh, structure their team. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the thing that was, you know, frustrating to me was that Boston had the iWatch stuff, the Apple Watch stuff, and the international um, issues that they got in trouble for a couple times right before this. So, most teams have done. Um, so, this is just going to wrap everything up from Jeff. He said, Most teams have done right. They've paid their employees through May, but cash poor teams could start eliminating jobs. And, and then, you know, as soon as one team does that, then it, it sets the precedent that other teams can do that and we know this is business, right? When it comes to business, a lot of times things get very dirty with the money and um, so it says if the season goes, there's a lot of other questions too what happened about scouts um, when play returns teams will want scouting presences at games um, if this Season goes through November. What happens to free agency in the calendar? Spring training, Rule Five draft, winter meetings. Um, if the hub system includes a number of stadiums without really good in-house technology, like some of these spring training stadiums, what about instant replay, stat cast, all sorts of things like that? Video clips that the coordinators get to use, and. You know, we're looking at a draft now that it says could see 
87.5% less players selected. Eliminating of 40 teams in the minor leagues could result in a thousand baseball players being out of jobs. If, if, you know, the final thing it says is fewer people playing baseball is never ever a good thing. So, a ton going on in the world of baseball. A ton of news about how they're trying to get the league back together. Stuff about the Red Sox. Um, stuff about all the different possible um, plans for moving forward, and if the players and the uh, the owners can make an agreement. So. News, no games being played, but ton of news in the world of baseball nonetheless. Let's take a quick break. Let's hear from one of our sponsors. When we return, we're going to talk a little NFL draft with Eric. So it's going to be a little commercial break. And then NFL draft with Eric. Every single team, we go alphabetically. So we start with the Arizona Cardinals. We go in order, kick back and enjoy, pop a brew, get some popcorn, because you're going to learn a few things here about some of the players and the new players that your team has selected. Just wanted to remind you about one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your entire purchase. These are all natural soy wax candle. They candles, they burn longer. They are better for you than the candles out there that have that traditional paraffin wax. I know the people from this company personally. I've grown up with them my whole life. They love candles. And the goal was to, to have an affordable candle that everyone can can enjoy use that promo code GINO my favorite is fresh roses the fresh roses scent is awesome if you're a horse racing fan they got del mar in there you ever want to know what del mar smells like but you couldn't make it out there order your candle right now from sarah candle company the website c e r a candles.com sarah candles.com promo code GINO for 10% off your purchase We got some normalcy in the world of sports this weekend. It was the NFL draft, and we're going to bring in uh, Eric, who has been joining us to talk uh, NFL and and everything football-related over the last couple months. Eric, before we get into some of the specifics, I got to say, you know, I think we were all maybe expecting some some technological issues or some, uh, some snafus, but, I mean, for the most part, that draft went off pretty damn well man it, it, there were there weren't really many issues i actually liked it I better too. than the normal draft you got to get more of a feel see inside the uh coaches and gm's houses and roger goodell was actually has a personality which uh, i didn't personable. know he seemed like a, a human being and not a robot <laughs> i know i kind of liked how he was trying to interfere interfere interact with the fans he sat down in that big chair i mean was switching outfits. I yeah was commenting about the M and M jar getting smaller and smaller. I I really liked it. It went a lot faster too, which was great. Mm-hmm. It was it was smooth. It was good. They did a really good job. Um, and you know that's funny. A lot of the players or the coaches have been coming out of this saying, you know what? Maybe we spent too much time or like you know in the office all day long when we could have been doing a lot more stuff from home like this. Now on it might it might kind of give them a template. Moving forward, not that they won't have the draft in person, but I think a lot of these people realize, like, hey, with the use of technology, we can do a lot of this, like what you, how you and I prep for the draft. You know what I mean? Like, you can do a lot of it from home. There's a lot yeah. of information. You can watch a lot of footage. Like, it's not the way it used to be where you have to do everything at the office. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. You can, with, with the way technology is, iPads, iPhones, 
computers. You can get everything from home. And with Zoom, you can talk to people right away. So I think it's going to lead to actually coaches being in the office less. Yeah, I think so too. Which is good. Yeah. It's good for everybody. They're, you know, they just realize, hey, you know what? Let's take advantage of uh, of some of the tools that we have now that we may not have had uh, in years prior. And, um, I, you know, it was fun. Like, we'll go, we'll start right away. We'll start with Arizona. So what we're going to do is we're going to go team by team. We'll kind of mention who they drafted. We'll talk about like what we like, what we didn't like, some positives, some negatives as we go through um, each team in the league. It was funny right off the bat with Arizona. Like, if you mention Arizona. And you talk about Arizona with the draft more, even though they did a they did a, a pretty damn good job. I think the first thing that people are going to talk about is Cliffy Kingsbury's digs, man. Sheesh, that place that he's staying at, that he's quarantined in, man. He's living life good over here, huh? I'm not going to lie. I actually Googled Arizona property taxes <laughs> when watching that because I'm in Chicago and we get hit so hard. And after seeing how little they play for it, I'm. I'm actually kind of contemplating a little bit of a move, so. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, geez. That was not bad. So, I mean, they got, they're the number eight pick in the first round, and I think a lot of people were surprised that uh, Simmons kind of fell to them here, and uh, I think this was a good situation where they're looking at a guy who was just a damn good player, man. I think he lined up at 100 or more snaps in 2019 at linebacker, strong safety, free safety, in the slot, um, and on the edge and at and at the cornerback I mean we're literally talking about a guy that you can place anywhere And he he's legit They did a good job I, I thought with this You know their second pick they got uh, some help on the offensive line He was one of the top ranked tackles by pro football focus uh, They got a big nose tackle from Utah with the, their fourth pick So their first couple picks I thought they really did well overall What you like what you not like about Arizona I didn't expect Simmons to fall that far on the board And I don't think the Cardinals did either Because I really think they're taking Expect you to take one of those guard offensive tackles, mm-hmm. but Murray got sacked 48 times last year, so I think they got lucky with Josh Jones from Houston, the offensive tackle, falling. He fell, to them. right? Yeah. I mean, he was fifth on my board, which kind of struck me as a surprise that he fell that far, and they actually got pretty high. He's raw with a high ceiling. By picking Fatu and Lawrence, their D line immediately takes a step up. And will help them to compete in the now heavy NFC West. But I really think the thing that's preventing me from putting like a future for them to win it all is just their O-line. I'm really not sold on their O-line right now. Still need some depth up there. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I agree. Uh, I think they did a good job, but they still have some holes and they, there's some needs. But I think you mentioned like it would have been really hard to, for them to pass up Simmons in, in that spot. I think they did a really good job. And, snagging. and also, N.O. Benjamin from Arizona State. He fell to them, and he's really good. He had a, he, he had some drops at ASU, ASU, which was the reason he fell. But he's going to be able to come right into that Cliffsbury offense. And when we talked last time, I said I don't think they're sold on Drake, and he could be a little bit of a sleeper in the draft. I actually gave him a grade of a C plus for this draft. That's the uh, the Cardinals, who were the the first team we'll talk we talked about. We'll get to Atlanta Falcons. We're just going to go alphabetically through everyone here. So they were interesting. Like I think they filled. Some needs, right? They needed a lot of help on the defensive end. Although the the first player that they selected, um, he's not. I mean, he he could help them out and play right away, but he definitely needs to improve a little bit. He needs to get a little bit better on the ball skills. Um, they got a nice defensive end uh, from Auburn who can kind of slide in and play DT if they need. Um, the center who can kind of move around a little bit, but he needs to get stronger. They, I mean. 
I'm kind of indecisive a little bit on, on if I love their draft or not I think they hit some some needs But I don't know if they necessarily got the best players To fit those needs I gave out five F's And they were one of the F's I Yeah, yeah. I I like A.J. Terrell the, the cornerback from Clemson But I feel with it su- being such a heavy class With cornerbacks They should have took the pass rusher Clovinian Chessane from LSU, who is still on the board at this time, because finding a pass rusher, everything just speeds up for the quarterback. And then they picked up Davidson, the uh, defensive lineman from Auburn. And it's always interesting to me because he played against Derek Brown, the star. And when you play next to a star in college to see how that player does in the NFL, makes him so much easier. Yeah. More attention. Um, And then I think Matt Hennessy was one of the biggest head-scratching picks in the draft. I'm really high on um, Cushenberry, the guy from LSU, the center, who I think is a phenomenal player and one of the best linemen in the draft. And they drafted Hennessy to play guard. And then Hennessy's going to take over for Alvin Mack, which he leaves. I really think Cushenberry would have been a better pick there. And then they drafted Mikael Walker, who's just going to be a special teams player. And then they wasted a draft pick on a punter. I just... I thought if they would have got Chessane and Cushenberry, this would have been a home run draft. But I mean, I actually gave them enough. Yeah, I, didn't, I just there wasn't a lot that I loved. It's just like it seemed like they were filling needs, but they just weren't filling them with the right with the right spots, uh, with the, or maybe with the best players available at the time there. So uh, Atlanta, uh, not neither of us really high on what they did. Um, then we look at the the Ravens, and you know, I think a lot of people. Figured Queen to be a good fit with them But I don't think people assume that he would drop I, I thought that maybe the Ravens might have to Move up a little bit if they wanted to get him And we're talking about Patrick uh, Queen the linebacker From LSU he's a stud athlete he can Cover he's just like a side to side playmaker um, I like A lot of what they did I think they got Really good value in a lot of places and I mean hell their last pick was a guy named Gino So I gotta give it up for <laughs> them too <laughs> But uh, the only one that I, it doesn't bother me as much as I heard a lot of people Is the J.K. Dobbins They seem like a team who who is pretty well um, Stocked in the backfield As far as running backs are concerned But maybe you're looking at, at this one as You know what, he's going to maybe take over in a year or so And, and kind of fill the Ingram void, uh, Role And I mean, other than that They they are really, really deep now I mean, their third pick, Matabuke He's a run stuffer, a solid pass rush, rusher they got uh, DeVernay, who's a, a nice slot wide receiver Gets them some yard after the catch They don't seem to be missing a ton Maybe like one more possession type receiver or something But overall, they're they're like really, really well built roster And they're just that team that always nails it I mean, to have Queen fall to you And you can put him in to replace C.J. Mosley Who they really never replaced when he left to go to the Jets And like you said about the Dobbins pick I really feel that they're so deep. He was just there, and he wasn't projected to be there. And they were like, hey, Ingram finished the year with a calf injury. Wasn't 100% for the Titans game. We really couldn't move the ball. And he's going to be coming up in the last year of his contract. Why don't we just get his replacement? Because they're so deep everywhere else. Um, the McDoo oh, my, I can't even pronounce the guy's Matibuke, name. But the deep, Matibuke, yeah, yeah. Matibuke, yeah. I mean, he's going to come in. And Campbell's going to demand so much attention on the defensive line. He's going to he's going to have a huge rookie season because they're all offensive line are going to be focusing on Campbell, the guy from the Jaguars they traded for. So he's going to be able to come in there and just have a huge 
huge year rushing the quarterback, stopping the run. Um, as I, I said last time, I really didn't like the wide receiver core. They got two good ones with a kid from Texas who is going to line up with the slot. If Jackson can hit him with those quick slot throws, he can take off and move the chains. And James Proshai from SMU, he can high point a ball. He's a physical guy. He reminds me of Jarvis Landry. And I think he's going to be a good player in the league. I think they got a steal with a guy that can go up and make a play and move the chains. Yeah, they, I mean, to me, they're like one of the top teams that people have been discussing. And when you look at what they did, they filled a lot of needs. And then the more that we talk about it, too, it's like the, it wasn't like the Dobbins pick is a waste. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like you're not wasting a first round pick here on, on a spot that you don't need. It's just when you're looking at it, it to me, it's maybe it, they have him really high on their board. And maybe it's something similar as to a team that we, we're going to get to in a little bit as what like Dallas was able to do is just like, hey, mm. let's just He's pick here. the best players available here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this might not be what we need right now, but we we see some of these guys as like major, major players in the league. Let's get them right now. And we'll, we'll it'll be a good problem to have, you know, and- like. Too many, too many talented players to have to worry about. Always a good problem to have. And Ingram's 32 now, and he yeah. wasn't healthy. So, I mean, and he's in the last year of his contract. I think it was, just, like you said, he was there. Hey, let's just take him. Yeah, and they're going to run the ball a whole ton, too. So he's still going to get some like some looks even this year early on. Like, he'll get some touches. but and, and it's always nice to be able to have another one to spell. Like, it just, with the way that they want to run the ball, too, it's never a problem to have an extra really good back there. So, yeah, you know, it was one of those those picks that I think a lot of people were like, why, why, why? But the more and more you look at it, you look at the way their team's built, it's like, hey, they're just continuing. I don't mind when you set them, like, I don't mind Baltimore setting themselves up for the future more like when we'll talk about Green Bay in a little bit What they're doing seemed a little bit weirder Like they could use a little more help right now Whereas Baltimore seems pretty well set up um, Let's get to Buffalo, the Bills So they didn't have a first round pick But they did get digs in the trade earlier this year For their 2021st, 5th, 6th, 7th And then a 2021 fourth round pick So um, what's nice is that I mean, this was a deep wide receiver class, but you're getting a, a wide receiver that's already proven that you don't have any question questions about or, or anything like that. So what the Bills were able to do, um, then in their second round pick with the number 54 pick, they get A.J. Apenza, a defensive end from Iowa. He was actually um, hang, ranked a lot higher than that. He's pretty powerful. He needs to kind of improve athletically, but he's pretty versatile. He's got some good technique. I'm a big Zach Moss fan. I think he's a really steady running back. I saw him play a lot over the last few years in the Pac-12. He's just not like flashy, you know. He's not like really, really fast, and he's not like the best pass catcher. But he does everything steady, 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 steady. He'll be a really nice compliment there for uh, for Singletary. A lot of people kind of comped him to Frank Gore, just like a steady back who's going to be able to just um, you know run, run, run. And then they get uh, Gabriel Davis, a wide receiver with some size. And then the one that's interesting is Fromm. Um, who what's kind of you know a lot of teams when they pick a quarter a backup quarterback now they're kind of picking a backup quarterback who's similar to their starting quarterback and it's it's I heard a couple of people talking about from and saying that he is um he's very smart he's a really good like game managing type quarterback he might actually be able to help Allen in the QB's room to kind of do some of the things that Allen doesn't do well, maybe just slow down a little bit, um, not turn the ball over, maybe not take a shot all the time here. So, you know, I think for what they needed, I thought they did a pretty good job here with not having a first round pick. I think they did an okay job. Um, 
the thing with me is I'm not really a digs guy. And I was so that's, thinking yeah, about that, this. That's how you dig. And yeah. with it being such a wide receiver heavy class, did was they it worth up, it? What did they give up too much for him? And I think Espinosa AJ is great, but with how deep their their defensive line is, I don't know how much he's going to actually get on the field this year because they are like so deep at D line. Zach. Zach Moss, like you said, he's basically a younger younger Frank Gore type, which means for fantasy, this Bills backfield is going to be a nightmare yep. because Moss will get the TDs, Singleton will get all the yards with no TDs. If Higgins and Davis, the two wide receivers they drafted, if they can get on the, uh, the field, they're good at stretching it. But with Allen's accuracy issues... I don't know if they're even going to get on the field with how much Diggs demands the, the ball. And they also still have John Brown. So I really don't know how much those guys are going to play. The Fromm pick is interesting because it's always interesting to me when you have a quarterback who's on his rookie deal, who overachieved his one year and the year right after that, you pick a quarterback. Yeah. And is that kind of saying, hey, we expect this level all the time and we have someone that can replace you or hey, this guy was the best available. He fell. We're going to take him. I found that interesting. I'm really not as high in this Bills team as everyone else is. I have actually locked in under nine. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be like a buzzy team this year. Yeah. Them, them and the Dolphins both, I think, are going to be oh, kind yeah. of buzzy teams because, you know, the Dolphins did a good job in the draft. The Bills made a couple moves, and we, we are all assuming that the Patriots are going to take a step back and come back down to life now with no Tom Brady. So, um I gave the Bills a C minus for this draft. I really okay. thought I got I got they got some guys, but I just don't know how much they're going to play besides Moss. That's that's the key. I'm I'm higher on it than you. I'm probably more like a B minus because I think they filled the needs. I don't they didn't get. I don't know. Like you mentioned though, I don't know if they got a ton of people that are going to be like major major contributors immediately for them. This might be a draft that helps them in a couple years, um, yeah. like steady things. But uh, but they yeah they still they still need a piece or two. I think I think there at uh, in Buffalo. Um, as we move along to the Carolina Panthers, so I think we discussed that uh, Carolina was was in need of defense, and I believe they were the first team in modern NFL history to take all defensive players in the draft. They had, uh, I think, what one, two, three, four, five, seven picks, and they were they they started off, and I think a lot of their draft was kind of this way. Um, like you know, Derek Brown is more of like a safe versus a sexy pick. Um, he's huge and he's really dominant against the run. He's big and he's athletic. The question and the worry with him: can he pass rush at a high level? Um, but but they, I mean, they they filled in. Like to me, this wasn't a a great job. I don't think they did a, like hit a home run in any in any short. I don't think they got an F. To me, they're kind of in the middle um, because I think they fill a lot of holes, but they might have reached in a few spots. I gave him a C. I mean, yeah, the whole thing. Yep. The whole thing with them is last year when I played my DFS, I always had the running back that was going against the Panthers because they're so bad defending the running back. That was like my strategy, and I really think by drafting Brown, they were trying to stop that. And the main thing is, is Brown and Simmons are always going to be connected. If mm-hmm. Simmons turns out to be a stud, and Brown doesn't turn out to be Aaron Donald Jr. Carolina's it's going to be a bad pick. This. Yeah. And I like the um, Gross Matos pick. I think he's a great pass rusher. I think he's going to be a steal in the second round. Um, and you, you, you kind of talked about 
putting him next to someone like Brown, who will probably get a lot of uh, attention, that may help you know him him even more in here. Yeah, and then I read also that Rule wants to play him all, all over the line, not just one side. Play yep. him inside, play him outside. So I think that's going to be great for him. Um, they got Chin, the safety from the Salukis, my neck of the woods. Not really my neck of the woods, but in Illinois, southern Illinois. Uh, he was kind of like a Simmons, a mini Simmons. He's just not as flashy and as big as him because he played safety and linebacker. At SIU, he's going to be all over the field for him. They got Pride from Notre Dame, who's going to be able to come in and replace Bradbury. DBs in the South are so important because you have Evans, Godwin, Jones, Thomas. There's so many deep wide receivers. You need that cornerback. They got Kenny Robinson from the XFL who's going to slide in and play the slot corner. I would have liked to see them get an O-lineman and a backup for McCaffrey because McCaffrey touches the ball so much and they have no offensive line. I gave him a C like you because mm-hmm. I would have rather see him get some running back depth and at least get someone on the O-line. Yeah, and, and you made it. The, well, the one thing I, di- I didn't love hearing like right away after the draft is, is they said something like, well, we thought Simmons was the best player available, but we really need it. You know, I think, I think at that point, that early in the draft, like when you need so much, you're, you should get the best player available. You, oh. You're not a team that's like that's just a, a strong defensive lineman, a defensive front away from winning. So to me, like I, I kind of agree with you. Like that's the one where, hey, if Brown is a stud, no one's gonna say anything. But if Simmons is even just a little bit better than him, it's always gonna be. It's always gonna be compared. You guys missed out on Simmons, you know. And you always uh, got you got to draft the talent. I mean, we'll get to Washington later, but Young was really, really wasn't a need for them. They just drafted nope. the talent. And that's what you need to do sometimes, all the time, excuse me. Especially in a draft like this, like this high up, where it seemed like there were at different positions, like each position seemed like they had at least one or two guys that were like, you know, could be all like really like franchise, like changing type players or like really like locked down at that position for years to come players. So, um, mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's just a little bit of question marks for Carolina um, as we move along to the Bears. And the Bears didn't have any early. Uh, early picks and then of course they pick a tight end Because why not um, they want to have a million Tight ends it does give them some versatility And Komet was from Notre Dame Where they picked in the 43rd pick He's solid he's steady um, So it gives them an extra tight end here uh, They got Jalen Johnson from Utah It's like physical in press coverage He's got some good instincts uh, Gibson defensive end from Tulsa uh, Kendall Vildor uh, Darnell Mooney Arlington Hamright And then uh, Lachavius Simmons So those were the Bears picks Um yeah, I mean, I I, say, I've, I didn't love what the Bears did. I don't think they. I, I still think they need um, some spots. The tight end that high was uh, maybe a little bit head scratching to me. Uh, but I don't. I'm, I'm kind of in the same way. I'd be like in the probably in the C, like low C for the Bears. <laughs> That's higher than me. I gave them a straight up F. Yeah. Like yeah. For me, I, I mean, I'm in Chicago, so I I hear way more stuff about the Bears than I probably should just mm-hmm. by walking around. You have nine tight ends. And O-line was a huge issue for them last year. Huge. And you don't draft an offensive lineman until the seventh round. And you draft a tight end. So now you have 10 tight ends on your roster. And he's a local kid. He's from one of the suburbs out here, Arlington Heights. And went to Notre Dame. And I really just feel it was like it was just kind of like a fan-friendly pick. And I just didn't like that. Um, to me... Diggs was still on the board from Alabama and I had him higher than Johnson because Johnson had some injury concerns and I would rather have Diggs. I, I love Diggs' ball skills. 
Um, Gibson has a high ceiling, and he's not going to get as much attention because that line's going to be focused on Max. So he could actually have a decent year if he's able to develop and get on the field. I love Kindor Vindor. I did this thing on Instagram where I was posting my sleepers every day, and he was actually one of them. The way he competed against LSU, Minnesota, and Clemson, when I watched, was insane. He's just a little small. He just needs to bulk up, but he's fast, and he'll compete, which I really like. And Moody, I think, is going to be able to fill in. He's going to be that speed slot receiver. So those are the really only two picks I like was the fifth round. And yeah, I really Moody, think – go ahead. Moody's kind of like sneaky. He had like 15 yards per reception over the last three years. So we're not even talking like a small sample size. Like he's a really good yards after the catch guy. But I, I kind of agree with you. Like Gibson, you know, it maybe in a year or two, he feels like he may not be able to like immediately impact. And so we're looking at a team that – was no way a complete or set roster last year And they could have used a little bit more now type help And I don't know, like, I think you mentioned The, the picks that I liked from them were their final four picks And, and only yeah. the reason why we're talking about the, the last two Were just because they needed offensive line help So maybe they can maybe they can get lucky And one of these two can, can, can help them out right now But they had much more of an opportunity to get Like a higher level offensive lineman yeah. at some point in this draft And the main thing is, is like Foles likes throwing to the tight end So with them signing Graham and drafting Clement so high I'm starting to think Foles, they may already decided Foles is going to be the number one rolling out mm-hmm. So I just I think the pace era is done I mean I really I This draft class to me Could have been a lot better but I don't know I don't know I'm just not that high in this draft class at all Okay let's go to the Bengals They had the number one overall pick And uh they got Joey Burrow, quarterback stud from LSU, who had one of the best college see or college years or year coming out of the draft that we've ever seen statistically as far as winning it all and the awards that he won. Um, and then keep in mind with the Bengals here that they have last year's first round pick, who's a left tackle, Jonah Williams, yep. who's also getting healthy. So when you look and you go, okay, maybe they could have. Used a, an offensive lineman towards the top of the draft But well they kind of got a first round pick coming back already So they, they probably didn't need as much there uh, They get Burrow, they get T. Higgins, a nice wide receiver Six foot four, a big target who's kind of deceivingly fast They get a really nice linebacker who's, who's got some good pass coverage potential too in Logan Wilson and Big physical linebacker from Appalachian State Who, he he's like a legit pass rusher in, and in the blitz I thought the Bengals did a pretty damn good job here. To me, they're like in the B mix. I give them a B plus. I love this team. I really like what they're doing. Um, I love how they're building it. Higgins can high point a ball. He can run all the routes in those routes. The only reason he was available in the second round is because his pro day at Clemson was awful. And that's why he fell. He's going to be able to come in, learn from A.J. Green. Though when Green leaves, you have your number one. The linebacker play last year for the Bengals were awful. Logan Wilson from Wyoming. They got Davis Ganthor, the guy you were just talking about from App State. And then the seventh round, they were able to get Marcus Bailey from Purdue. All three of those guys are tackling machines. And the important thing to remember with Bailey from Purdue, he would have been a third-round pick, but he tore his ACL at Purdue early in the season, and he yep. sat out the whole year. That, cur- so that killed him. Yeah, if he's medically able to play, they immediately made their linebacker core better kareem the defensive end that they draft in the fifth round is able to rush the quarterback and i actually had hakeem at 
Jai from Kansas, I had him pretty high in terms of my offensive line rankings. He can play tackle or guard. And then they have Williams, who was a top rate tackle last year. I mean, I really like this team. I think they're going to go 6-10 and 10 or 7-9 and nine this year, 8-8 eight and eight next year, and I think they're going to be able to actually win the division in three years. The main question with them is, that can Zach Taylor actually coach? Yes, that's a good, that's a good point. If he can actually coach, this team is head in places, but he was kind of in that, oh, we got to, you know, Sean McVay, you're getting hired. So, I mean, if, if Taylor can coach, this team is going to be going places. They did a really good job, and it's kind of consistent, and it seems like you're the same way. And, you know, a, a lot of people that look back at the draft, it's, okay, we're, it's not only are you filling the need, but it's like, what's your val- where are you getting that value on, on filling the need, right? Every round might not be fill the need. It might be, oh, damn, there's somebody here who should not be here, and it might be a player like Marcus Bailey, who you mentioned. Like, I love, you can't take three or four players like that who have, Injury history and that have dropped But every year there's always at least one or two That each team has the opportunity to take a shot on And they're they're kind of a really good Like you know t- risk High risk low I mean you know Like low risk high reward type players because Especially when you use a 7th round draft pick on them you're Oh not, like, and the salary cap It's a yeah. salary cap league and you're playing 7th round money For a guy that could be a warrior starter yeah, it's 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 just the way you have to approach every draft, and you have to look for some of these uh, these diamonds in the rough uh, each and every year. Bengals did a really good job. Now let's see if they can uh, they can now now on paper they're a hell of a lot better than they were a year ago. Now you got to take the next step, like you mentioned. Can the coaching staff um, have them win a couple games and put them in place for all their or their players to succeed? Another team I thought did a really good job. Um, was the Cleveland Browns They didn't do anything goofy this year They didn't do anything really weird They didn't like reach or, or like you know Pick someone that we're all going Why the hell did they make that pick They got a really good tackle from Alabama right away That's immediately help And uh, they're going to probably put him on the left side Because he looks pretty versatile um, They got a safety from LSU Who is not a, a great tackler But he's really good against coverage So they just got to kind of put him in the right spot Um uh, they got a nice de- another defensive front from Missouri in with their third pick. They they got another uh, center, Nick Harris from Washington. He's actually I I remember him. He's played all over the offensive line too. He's really good out in space too. So you get a couple offensive linemen that can help you out. One that's really versatile. Um, I mean, I, I thought they did a really good job here, Browns. To me, they're another one that I kind of had in the in the B mix. I actually give them, and it pains me to say this, an A minus. Look at that, yeah. I mean, it pains me to say I like what they did because I'm not a Cleveland guy. And it also pains me to say I'm actually going to probably have to draft Baker Mayfield in fantasy football too. It's This year's a make or break year for him because I always look at a quarterback. If you don't take that step in year two and you regress, which he did, then you usually don't make it. They have put everything around him to be successful the weakness last year was obviously the offensive line. Willis was he was rated top on some people's draft boards for offensive tackle. He was second on mine. So immediately the weakness of a team has become a strength. They replaced Peppers, who they sent to New York in the OBJ trade with Del Pitt from LSU. So that fills a need. They got two good defensive players in the third round. Um, the Harris Bryant pick I found a little interesting. It kind of tells me they're going to try to trade Najoku, but or they're going to let him go. But they just extended Najoku today with his fifth year option, so they're probably going to look to move him. And the one pick is People Jones from Michigan. They got in the sixth round. Craig O'Shea. He was the offensive coordinator last year for the Dolphins, and he was responsible for 
Devontae Parker taking that big jump and finally reaching to his ability, I think he's going to be able to do what, with Parker what he did with Jones, and I think the Browns kind of got to steal with him. He's kind of one of those big physical guys. He has he needs to develop, um, you know, t- the skill and the consistency, right? So he's mm-hmm. got the, he's got the he's, he's got the the profile to make it. He's a big dude, and with you know with a lot of other pieces there, there's no pressure on needing a whole lot of, out of him right away either. Yeah, you know? and. Oh, O'Shea was able to get stuff out of Parker, which nobody else was. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to reach Parker, and if Jones is any takes in any coaching, I really think they found a diamond in the rough with him. Yeah, you, you just go through it's you know when you when you look at each one of these teams and you go through each of their picks and and you don't and there and the, there's at least like two or three th- there's at least a couple spots where you're not negative. They did a good job, and I I can't really find any spots that I'm like hard on what they did. I think they did a really good job for each pick that they had, and this this maybe is the turning point for them because maybe now they're starting to get some smarter people now making the decisions over there. Um, and and it just this just felt like a different year, you know, because like they're kind of quiet right now, right? There's no buzz. Yeah. It, well, obviously, yeah. there's not, but like they're not a buzzy team. I think a lot of people feel like they may have gotten burned by them last year, but I know you were really high on playing against them because they were a team that that was super like margin of super wide margin, right? We never like they're they're capable of playing with anyone. I mean, they beat the crap out of the Ravens, you know, yeah. but, but then they could lose to anyone. And and that was like a team that was hard to ex- like expect a whole lot out of. This year just feels different for them. Like they're kind of quiet, they're flying under the radar. I think that they're they're going about it in a, in a much different way this year and I, I'm expecting a lot more out of them. Um, I mean, the so, two big questions are is Mayfield going to be able to make that jump? Mm-hmm. And um is is Skafanski going to be able to manage the room because he's going yeah. from the offensive to being in charge of everything? If he, a lot he, of personalities there. Yeah, if he's able to do that, and Mayfield can take that step forward, but I think they're going to run the ball a lot more, so they're going to take less pressure off him. Because I saw the stat last year, the Browns had a winning record when he didn't throw the ball over twenty one times, but if but if he threw it over twenty one times, that's when they struggled. Yep. So the less they put on him, the better they did. And you'll have Hunt. You know, um, to go along with Chubb, you you have a really really good backfield there. You have really good offensive weapons. You're stacked at the tight end position now, and now you built up that offensive line. So, I mean, maybe a piece or two on defense that they could still use. But as far as on the offensive side of the ball, you mentioned it. This is put up or shut up time. This is no excuses yeah. now. Like they've built everything around you, Baker. You've got everything you need to succeed there. And Stefanski looks like he's in really good shape to at least have a, a successful first uh, first season there. The Dallas Cowboys, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always kind of one against the Cowboys because they're kind of a really sexy team, and everyone's, mm-hmm. you know, America's team. They're kind of usually undervalued with their their lines and a lot of uh, if you want to play them in any kind of futures and stuff. Man, I thought they did a hell of a job here. Um, it seemed like every pick that they had was like someone that was projected on most consensus draft boards to be selected 10 or 15 or 20 picks higher. seemed like every round that it came, like when it came to them, they just, somebody dropped into their lap that they looked around and said, you know what? I don't think we can pass up this player. And it all started with CD lamb. I mean, they, they have a good, like two good wide receivers there with, uh, with Gallup and with Cooper already, but they look down 
And CeeDee Lamb was the number one projected wide receiver For a lot of people I mean if this wasn't such a deep wide receiver draft He could have absolutely been someone That was drafted by teams in the top five If they needed a wide receiver in in different years Um, But instead he ends up falling to the Cowboys At 17 He's actually uh, Pro Football Focus Was one of the projections that I was looking at And one of the recaps and stuff And I I follow a lot of their stuff He's the third best wide receiver prospect They've ever evaluated Not third best this year Third best they've ever evaluated coming out of college I mean he's an absolute stud And then they got Diggs You you had mentioned Diggs from Alabama Who somehow dropped to them He's excellent in in the press He's like a perfect fit He's physical He's got like real long lengthy arms And I just I loved what they did here at the Cowboys It seemed like they um, they were like, you know, we're we're just gonna go value all the way down. Where where's the best player that's around? Who's the best on our draft board? Let's pick him. I I think they nailed it. I uh, they're one of my A's. I gave out three yeah. A's. They got one of my A's. I'm not gonna lie though. When I heard Jerry was gonna be drafting from a yacht, I thought he was totally gonna mess this up. Um, but he didn't. Personally, I'm not a Lamb guy. I think um. The games I watched from Oklahoma against the better teams, Oklahoma kind of hit him in the slot, and I think he's going to play, actually play a little bit more slot in the NFL. Um, the Diggs pick is great. He's a steal, true lockdown corner, physical, tall with length. And then they're right after that, they're able to get Reggie Robinson from Tulsa, who's 6'1", another physical corner. So immediately with those two picks, they improve their secondary. And then they improve their pass rush be, with adding – Gelmore and my boy Bradley Ane, I was so amazed that he fell to the fifth round. And that's why I really don't like the combine because a lot of people get caught up in the combine. You saw a lot of Utah games. I actually have watched the Senior Bowl like three times. When you watch Utah in the Senior Bowl, you can't tell me Ane is not going to be able to provide a pass rush to the NFL level. He's got he's falling very to the fifth skilled. was insane. He, and, and what I like is that the two uh, defensive front like linemen that they they selected they complement each other pretty well. Um, like Gallimore is more of a big guy who like they kind of have him as a quote unquote people mover, you know. And then you have Ane who's more of like a skill technique guy. Uh, I, th- I think they did just a great great job there. Um, they get the center from Wisconsin who's and a good. With him, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, go no, go ahead. Yeah, please the, go ahead. The, the thing with him, which I find amazing, is. Like, in the NFL or any sports, you okay? Somehow Jerry was able to convince Howie to let him trade up, and they traded with the Eagles to get, get him from Wisconsin. So yeah. they traded with their rival to be able to get their center, which was their biggest hole in their offensive line. We know how much they want to run the ball. He's just a really good run blocker at Wisconsin. They pound the rock there. So it, it should just be a great fit, like – Nothing negative to say really at all about what the Cowboys did. Um, I, I, they did a really, really good job. I'm impressed with them, and uh, um, we'll see. The, offensively, they're going to be really super fun to watch. Like, is another one who shouldn't really have a whole lot of excuses, like Dak this year. From like, a, hey, you got the weapons now, man. Your offensive line is good. You've got a good backfield now, and now you've got like three or four legitimate weapons out there that can catch the ball. So. Um, let's see if you can continue to take that next step and maybe uh, carry a team when they need you here and there. But the big thing is, is he going to sign the franchise tag? Yep, because he still yep. hasn't signed that yet. No, so. all right. And and so is this like a lame? Like is this one of those weird limbo years? You yeah. know, does he even like how how focused and how much is he caring right now? Um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, great job by the Cowboys, though. Yeah, I can't really knock what they did. 
And I, you know, we get the 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 Denver Broncos. They definitely have a plan here, and they, you know, they came into this looking around and going, "We have a young quarterback now. Our defense was really good. We lost a ton of games last year that we, you know, by one score that we probably shouldn't have lost. It felt like it was an awful year. And then you look back and you can really dig in and say, you know what? It wasn't that bad for them. They had to deal with all the Flacco stuff early in the year. They get Jerry Judy, who was, I mean, huge value to get Judy at 15. Um, he is the top route runner that many people have projected out of this class, and he can just really do it all from a receiving standpoint. And then they get a really fast slot wide receiver in the second round with KJ Hamler. They get a zone corner in the third. Um, they get a uh, a center who can play some guard too from LSU, Cushenberry, who you've mentioned the name before uh, at, at pick eighty three. And and then the uh, the guy from Arkansas, um, what what I like, and I heard a couple people talking about with uh, with Ajim from Arkansas, the defensive tackle. He's better than his tape because, you know, Arkansas is just getting beat up a whole ton. Teams aren't passing against them. He didn't really get the opportunity to rush the pass a whole hell of a lot. And if he's in a situation where he gets more opportunity to rush the pass, I think he's going to be a little bit better. Um, I like what they did. To me, they're in like a B-range team. I I could even be sneaking them into like a high B, even lower A, because I feel like they they set themselves up with some really, really nice top-level talent. I They're my last day I gave out. I... Home run by LA, home run. And the thing is, is they can beat you so many ways now. And you need someone that can win a jump ball. They have Cortland Southern, Sutland on the outside. You need someone who can run that dig route and get open to get in field goal range at the end of the half. You have Judy. You need a slot corner, quick slant to take it to the house. You got Hamlin. You go 12 personnel. You got Noah Flant and Albert O, that big tight end, who are going to be mismatches for the linebackers and i i'll be honest as soon as i know what number cushionberry is i'm going to order a cushionberry <laughs> i love this kid and the thing is is burrow gets so much credit cushionberry was a two-year starter and the number 18 is like a big number at lsu and they give it to the guy they feel has the most impact on the program and they actually gave it to him but since he was an offensive lineman he couldn't wear it he couldn't wear it and now he's going to come in and he's going to be playing center so Locke needs to do a better job recognizing stuff. So you've got someone who's won championships and played in the SEC. He's going to come in, and he's going to be able to help Locke identify the blintzes and identify the coverages. And then you're able to get the guard from Fresno State, Mutai, in the sixth round, who I dra- I actually had him as my second-rated guard. in the Another one of those injury concerns that yeah. just dropped, though. Yep. And then you're able to get Michael O. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that last name. <laughs> to come in to replace for Harris, you're giving thing is you're giving Pat Shermer all the offensive he needs where he's going to be able to game plan and do anything he wants. Who's a great coordinator. And then you got Vic, the coach who who's showing that his scheme works in the NFL. So, I mean, I love this Broncos team. I have them for 10 to one to win the West. I mean, I, this team is perfectly lined up. They addressed the line. They added defensive guys, and they got weapons, and they didn't have to trade up to get Judy. Great, great job from the Broncos uh, in the draft. Now it's your Lions, your Detroit Lions, who 
you know, I, I think they did a pretty good job here too. The, they got the Akuda pick. They they weren't, you know, um, able to, I guess, to make a trade out of three. So what they do, they get the player who has a really, really high floor, a solid fit, should be a stud starter for them right now. Um, the DeAndre Swift was the top running back on a lot of boards. He fell to them at 35. He's actually a good receiver. He's just kind of solid all around. That's not a bad pick. Uh, Okwara, uh, kind of a good bull rusher. He's one that we keep talking about that fell. He could have been drafted much higher if he didn't have the broken leg and and missed some time this previous year. He's speedy. He's powerful. He's got length. He's got burst. They get two O linemen who might be able to start for them and battle for a starting spot. You know, right away. I, I love I, at least their top four five picks. I think are pretty solid. Um, and, and then even Cephas, you know, I, I think is another one who can make some noise for them too. I thought they did a pretty good job towards the top of the draft, at least. So as a fan, where do you feel uh, the Lions? Um, I'll how do you feel draft Lions? a little harder because of my bias for the Lions. But sure. I gave them a C. Sure. Like, I really thought they could have moved down. I thought Quinn could have played it better. Hey, we're moving on from Stanford. You know, we're going to draft a quarterback, but they're really not to heist a pick from somebody. But I like Jeff Okula. I think he's great in the Patricia defense. He can play man. He can play zone. He can he can go up and win a jump ball. Lockdown defender that you need. I really wasn't a fan of the um, Swift pick because they needed that pass rusher. And Yatter Gross and Espen were still on the board. And I really think that was a bigger need. And you just you just picked um, Johnson up a couple years ago Garrett in the second Johnson, round. Yeah, yeah. So I really think I, I really wasn't a fan of that pick. Um, if the kid from Notre Dame, Okua, can if he can stay healthy, that's a great pick. But he's coming off that bad broken leg. So I really, you know what I mean? It's one of those things, like, if he stays healthy, it's great. But he ha- had a serious injury. Jonah Jackson is great. He's a great guard. But they could have got my boy Cushenberry, which I would have loved, who's so versatile. The kid they got from Kentucky, Sternberg, the other guard, he had 14 holding calls called on him last year, and that really sticks out to me. Um, Odula Odula was raving about the kid from Wisconsin, Cespedes that they drafted, but he had all that off the field stuff that kind of made him drop. Drop, but the Lions are so deep at wide receiver with Jones, um, Galladay, Amendola, right? Amendola. So I mean, I really don't know how much he's going to see the field. And you just drafted Swift, and then they got Huntley, the running back from New Mexico. I gave him a C. That, that I mean, feels right, though. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah, like, I, I think they, they're just a lot of question marks about yeah. this draft. I, I don't think they, and, and they're, they're, I think they, they took some swings that, like you said, it, they got it sort of hit. They're not necessarily, like, other teams that can take swings at the bottom of the draft, they took their swings a little higher, maybe, than mm-hmm. they should have. Um, where they could have gotten a little more steady or maybe filled another need or two and then taken a swing towards the end of the draft. But I think C's... C's fair. I probably would have them like C plus, like just on the, the slightly higher end of the C, because I still think you get some top level talent with the CUDA. And maybe, maybe Swift is is gonna be is, is you're just looking at Johnson going, okay, you know what? Maybe we like Swift a little bit better than him and he can be the guy. But but yeah, I agree with you. I just thought um like value wise where they selected some of the picks, maybe they could have done a better job in that sense. Uh so and yeah, Johnson's probably... been hurt a lot too. So I mean yeah. maybe they're just like, Hey, you know what? We're gonna move on. Yeah. So that's the that's Detroit. We move on from the Lions to the Packers, and um, th- this just felt weird to me, right? Like I, I'm not, a, I wasn't high on Jordan Love at really uh, a whole lot. Um, I just w- didn't love the the quarterbacks. App. To me, it was like you know uh, Burrow and Tua as a as you know a nice a nice 
opportunity pick And then the rest of them I was eh with So so Love, like I get you need a quarterback This just felt so weird to me For a team that needs wide receivers Or a team that could use You know, uh, some help right now Yeah Did they, did any, are any of their top three picks Going to be, be like immediately playing Going to be like immediately helping this team out I don't know you have Rodgers under contract till 2023. You're a team that was in the final four last year. You were in the conference finals. Like, don't you want to go get get some help and like fill the void of of what you needed? Like this this felt like a team that was drafting for a couple years down the line. It just it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I gave them an F. They're one of my Fs. I agree. Um, I agree with you. The only person I can actually see that's actually going to contribute next year was. John Runyon, the offensive lineman at from Michigan, I could actually see him starting. Um, I don't understand this pick of not giving Rodgers more weapons. I mean, I actually like Love. Love was actually second on my board just and because that's fine. of his, yeah. arm, his arm talent. I really like the way he threw the ball. He did have that drop-off from his junior to his senior year, and I really felt like he needed to go to a place to sit. And if they but, like Love, it's fine. To go get your backup quarterback as a guy Like what they did with with Rodgers To sit him behind far for a couple years and groom him It just felt like That's a weird spot to go get him With all those stud wide receivers still on the board And the important thing is You mentioned I looked in the Rodgers contract Packers can actually get out of it After the 2021 season So I really think this is two years And there's been a lot of rumors that LaFleur and Rodgers Really don't get along that well and I think this could have been LaFleur just pulling a power play because he had that 13-3 and three season, so that's obviously going to buy him some time. And then if they do bad the next two years, he can be like, well, I have my guy who's finally starting. You know, so it's almost a little shady move in my eyes kind of by it is, LaFleur. It is. Yeah. Um, I like A.J. Dillon, don't get me wrong. I mean, he, I did my little sleeper thing last last week where I was posting, like, sleepers for each position. He was one of them. But I had him as like a fourth or fifth round grade, yeah. and you take him in the second round, and he's going to be a third stringer. I mean, Williams and Jones are both. This is their both their last year of their contract, so obviously it was a position they needed to um, address. But Pittman, Higgins, Claypool, all those guys were still on the board, and they could have done something with that pick for Love, and then the tight end they drafted from Cincinnati. That's a blocking tight end. So I mean this. This is one of the worst drafts from a competing team that I remember in a long time. I, I, I did not like it in one bit. I think they did a horrible job. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense. This this it felt like you're drafting for a team that isn't in win now mode, and you have they they have to be in win now mode with Rodgers under center. I mean, um, could you imagine if they had T. Higgins and Devontae Adams? I mean, that would have been insane. And, oh, I know. Like they just didn't address it at all. I really think there's more to those Lafour. Before, um, Absolutely Like philosophically they must just not be on the same page I mean as, as a USC guy And I'm not always like just crazy high On all the USC players that come out Pittman's going to be good Like Pittman's going to be a good red zone target for you He would be an excellent like Chain mover another guy yeah. that can get you a first down He just doesn't drop the ball He goes up and wins Like I like I love him He, he did a hell of a job at, with, at SC the last couple years Under like not the easiest circumstances either So just um Awful draft from the Packers. Just terrible. Just, just, ter- just, just terrible. Ter- terrible. 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 We move on to the Texans, the Houston Texans. Um, they didn't have a first round pick. Their top pick was uh, the number forty pick with Ross Blacklock, 
who is a good pass rushing uh, defensive tackle. He's athletic. He's he's a little bit explosive, but he'd kind of need some fundamental help. So maybe they're looking around, going, "Okay, we have some good fundamental players here who, who we can learn under." Um, they got a linebacker, uh, Greenard. In the in the third round, Charlie Heck, the swing tackle from North Carolina. They got a slot cornerback in John Reed in the fourth round, and then they got some wide receiver depth who probably won't be like in someone that's playing immediately right now because like their their wide receivers are downgraded for sure. But it seems like they at least have three or four now after getting rid of Hopkins. I I mean I'm kind of down on what they did because I'm down on the Hopkins trade before what they did. Um, but I don't think. They did an awful job, at least like making do with what they could. So I would have them in the C range. Oh, I, that's way higher than me. I have them in F. <laughs> like, yeah, they were like low, probably like low C for me. The thing is, is the Lions were actually going to trade and take Lennard, and that's that, where they that, got screwed. They were, and then he backed out of it. So, and so they, they just have got a stuck with they him. Don't want. Yeah. And then in the fourth round, they got Charlie Heck, who will start in a year, but he's not going to contribute next year. And tech, the Texans are a real man-heavy team. And then Reed, the slot corner that they drafted, is good in zone coverage. So why would you draft a good zone coverage DB when you play man? I mean, that's the stuff I just don't understand that what Bill O'Brien does. And that's the problem is that Bill O'Brien we've seen now, it's just it's, it's too – it just doesn't work all that well. At very, very few situations where the guy coaching the team should be making all the personnel moves too. It just doesn't always work out. And it, they're just different jobs. Like being a scout, being a co- – like scouting the talent and being a coach. And uh, yeah, so I mean I, I definitely wouldn't think of this as good. Um, but uh, you're – I'm higher on – a little higher on it than you. I just – it just they, I just don't like what they do. Like I never look at a move that they do and like go, wow, that was a good move. It just always seems like we're we're head scratching. Like what did Bill O'Brien Bill O'Brien do uh, again this time? So um, I really feel they're just wasting Watson. Like when you look at players absolutely play, agree. I Watson has it, and I really think he's being held back by O'Brien and just the stuff he does. There was no reason. They should have lost that game last year against the Chiefs in the playoffs. There's no reason they blew. What was it? 24 point lead, and you and don't it was go, stupid stuff. It's like they, they you don't go a, for it. They're up 21 to zero. You have a chance to step on the Chiefs' throat on the road, and you don't take it. You're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And I really thought they were going to fire him after that game. And then they. And then after they go for it, like a little later, which it, in like a weird spot to go for it. There's just like yeah. no consistency. You know, yeah, there's like zero, like it, it just doesn't make sense. Nothing really adds up that they do. Um, I got to say, though, the next team that we're going to talk about, I think they did a really good job. That's the Colts. We were talking about Michael Pittman Jr. They didn't have a first round pick, but they still got a first round talent wide receiver, a six four stud from USC who just catches everything. Big time possession wide receiver. He had to deal with three different quarterbacks last year at USC starting games, and he he didn't drop off a bit. Um, Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin, he's like a, a Zeke Elliott comp. He's not necessarily like a, a pass catcher, but they already have Hines. This guy had 926 carries at Wisconsin. He he is just a beast who can run, and we know their offensive line is awesome. Remember, they traded their first round pick for a stud defensive end and uh, d- defensive lineman in DeForest Buckner. They got Justin Blackman from Utah, who was much improved when they moved him to safety last year. So he's really good in deep coverage. And then you get someone like Jacob uh, Jacob Eason, who now that you have Rivers there, 
Um, Eason can maybe learn behind him. He needs to work on his progressions. He kind of needs to get better um, at like reading the field and and you know reading the defense. And you get an opportunity to learn behind a really good veteran in in Rivers. I like them quite a bit. I had them as like a, a high B, and I would be okay with moving them into like a low A. Um, I had them as an A minus. I actually meant to send you this. I actually love this team. I locked them in at twenty seven to one. Wow, all. that's a great that's a great price. And I think they're putting all the pieces in place. As you mentioned, Pittman's a big physical wide receiver, and that's exactly who Rivers is used to throwing the ball to and Michael Williams and Keenan Allen. So they got someone that is kind of like what Rivers is used to. I think that this move will free Hilton up, and they'll put put Hilton in the slot now and keep um, Campbell on space on the other guy's name. Um, they'll keep those Pascal, guys on the outside. right? Jack Pascal? Yep. Yep. yep, on the outside. Hilton will be a night, nightmare matchup for the slot. And then you got Taylor, who's by the end of the year, will take over for Marlon Mack's job. Marlon Mack is on his way out now. Um, Blackman is great for the back four, which is kind of the, which is actually their only weakness. And you add him. Um, he fell because of that knee injury he had. I really think if he didn't have that knee injury, he would have been off the board by now. I'm not a Jacob Eason guy, but I understand the pick because yep. all if you read his scouting report next to Philip Rivers' scouting report, it's basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be able to learn from Philip Rivers. Um, this team is great. Even that Isaiah Rogers kid they got from UMass in the um, sixth round, that guy was, had 15 turnovers last year. And UMass was the worst team in college football last year. And he had 15 turnovers. I mean, that's insane to me. And then they got the kid from Washington State. The receiver, who's an, yeah. Who's another big wide receiver. They're giving Rivers all the pieces to succeed. And I really think, like, this team is just getting, because of the, the Buccaneers and the, every, I, the Chiefs and the 49ers, I really think this team is really getting underlooked in, in what exactly they're building and the value they have in the future market. And the real thing I, I like about them is we look at their division, right? Jacksonville might be one of the worst teams in the league this year. They're probably like tank, you know, kind of tanking and like uh, looking towards the future. Um, I don't think Houston is, I think Houston's going to take a little bit of a step back. Like we said, like they seem like a 500 ish kind of team. And then Tennessee, they really overachieved a little bit last year. Like things went really, really well for them. And we've kind of talked about that too. So you look at a division where nobody really scares the hell out of you. This this team could be set up for a really good year this year. And you know what? Let's say Rivers is someone that you don't necessarily – maybe he gets hurt in a game or two or he gets banged up. Their backup quarterback situation with Brissette is going to be the best in the league. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I have this under my Patriots thing. I actually think he gets traded to New England. That wouldn't that would not surprise me. You're right, and that's maybe why they 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 take Eason here. Um, but but if not, whether he's QB two or QB three, it's going to be a good spot for him to not necessarily be forced into it right away. Um, for someone who people had always kind of liked, he was very uh, always people have been really high on him for a long time. So yeah, we're both very high on the Colts this year. Um, a team that I'm not high on as far as. Being ta- being a team that wins a lot of games this year is the Jags, but I do think they did a pretty good job with their draft. They had a lot of um, they had a lot of selections to make, and I think it was one of those situations where they're looking at it and they're just kind of taking them one at a time. Um, they got Henderson from Florida, who was one of the better cornerbacks in the draft, good at man coverage, super athletic. You mentioned uh, Chase Sun, Caleb Vaughn from uh, LSU. Um, he's like 
He's a big time tools it player And he's only 20 So this is the type of team who's young Who's looking into the future Who who could draft him and get okay And be okay with him not needing to like Be someone that has to come in and, and you know You depend on him immediately right away He can grow with a lot of these young players on this team I, You know what I For the most part I like what they did I don't really have a whole lot of negatives to say about a lot of their selections I kind of have them in the B B range They're not going to be a good team this year But I don't think they had a bad draft um, I gave them a C plus only because they weren't able I to trade Fournette yeah. and the D lineman. They weren't able to trade those guys. If they were able to trade those guys, I would have had it a little bit higher. Um, they needed to rebuild the defense. You got CJ Henderson, an elite cover corner. A couple questions about his tackling ability, but I think that will improve. Um, as you mentioned, Chase on who's going to be able to rush the passer. They got the kid from Colorado. If he can stay healthy, will mix in great with that wide receiving core with DJ Shark. Um, and then Joshua Scott from MSU. I'm a big Spartan guy. Um, he's going to be able to start at slot corner. Yep. I really think they're starting to lay the pieces. And I really like that Ben Barch guy from St. John. Pass blocker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like guys that have to work for stuff that aren't hand-given stuff. And when you see his story about how, like, hey, you have to, you have to um, put on weight, and he comes in and he came up with his own program to gain weight, that shows me that he will work. And now you have all these nutritionists and a strength coach. This kid is just going to take off. He may not do anything next year, but in a couple of years, he's going to be a lockdown for the line. And I really feel when you're rebuilding a team, you got to start from the inside and then build out not just go get the quarterback and the analogy are i always use is you're if you live in new york you're not going to get a lamborghini without a garage you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean you got to yeah, get a true. place to store it so i mean getting him getting an offensive tackle that can be a long-term 10-year guy you know they're starting to get to, to some pieces there they're, they're, they're going to be awful this year but they're starting starting the rebuild in the yep. right way yeah, I like I like what they did. They're uh, it's a good step, and it's it's part of the process, right? It doesn't happen immediately um, for teams, but you could see them in a few years now with some of these defensive pieces they're putting together, being a similar type team that were a couple years ago. With uh, okay, look, strong defense, strong young, got a couple of good um, cornerbacks, good in the secondary, uh, good up the middle. So uh, yeah, I, I like their progression. Yeah, there's, we, yeah, there's they're starting to build it. I really think though, Minshew's not the guy they need. No, no, me neither. Me neither. And they drafted a six-seven um, kind of quarterback with a really big arm that could just probably be a backup sometime. But I do think this team is probably looking to next year for Lawrence. I think they're one of the few teams that's kind of circling next year. And like you said, let's build everything that we can in in this draft that was so deep and so strong, but wasn't necessarily a strong quarterback draft. You know, if you don't if you don't like anybody after those top two. Or you know mm-hmm. maybe you don't like anyone after Burrow, so then just go start stacking some of the really good defensive talent that was around, and that's what they did. They did a good yeah. job. Um, KC returning Super Bowl champs. I think some people were surprised that they went with running back with uh, Edwards Alaire, um, who's like a, a really good um, pat, uh, pass catcher out of the backfield. People, some people felt it might have been a little too early for them um, to to grab a running back when you have Mahomes, and I guess you could probably put anyone in the backfield and and be pretty successful there. But he. Maybe they're really high on him, and they wanted to they wanted to take him with you know their their 
first round pick, thirty two overall. Uh, Willie Gabe Jr. He's fast. He he he's one of those guys that crazy measurables at the combine, and he can make plays all over. Lucas Niang. He's more of a project that he he needs a little pass blocking help. But um, this is a pretty solid roster at the moment right now. I just I'm kind of I'm I still have some questions about what they did. I just don't I don't think they needed a whole heck of a lot. But for me, I kind of I don't love it. I don't hate it. They're kind of in the middle for me. So I have them in like the the like maybe high C range. I I give them a straight D. Like I just people I've been seeing comparing Edwards Hilaire to Bryant Westbrook. Hilaire's five seven, and I just can't get that out of my head. And if you look at Hilaire and look at Darwin Williams, I really just feel they're the same player. And they lost Fuller to Washington. And with Denver adding all those weapons, Denver's going to challenge KC. And KC's actually going to have to be able to make some stops. And they didn't address the secondary at all. And then they don't even know if Jones is going to sign the franchise take. So they really didn't address the pass rusher. I think the linebacker from Mississippi State, Willie Gay, was a great pick. He'll be on the, he'll be on the field right away. And then... Nothing else in the draft really does anything for me. I I just really, but I mean, you're right. It's a loaded roster, but the cornerback position and rushing the passer are arguably the two most important positions on defense, and they didn't do anything to make that better. Yep. And yeah, it wasn't wasn't a team that I was I was high on. Just a lot of question marks. You're a little lower on them than me, but I definitely, yeah, I definitely felt like they could have done a, a lot better. Than they did um, as we move on to the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, who, you know, at twelve, um, I, I don't think a lot of people, and in and he's not bad in any sense of the word, Henry Ruggs, but he just wasn't the number one projected wide receiver on a lot of folks' boards. He was second or third, or you know, maybe even a, a little lower than that. But there were a lot of folks had Judy and Lamb at least ahead of him. But the Raiders uh, with the twelfth pick. They go with Henry Ruggs from Alabama. He's got big speed, and he doesn't really have to be just a deep guy. But he, I think, when we you mentioned this earlier with the uh, with the pick for the Panthers and Brown, we're always going to compare these wide receivers. I think at least these three: the Ruggs, yeah. Lamb, and uh, Judy. And so they better hope that Ruggs is at least very solid. Because if not, if Lamb and Judy are, people are always going to be saying. You could have had either one of those pick guys. You literally had your pick in the strongest class of wide receivers, and you made the wrong selection. Is it someone that really fits with a guy like Carr, who's more of a dink and dunker than he is someone that stretches the field? I don't know. I'll be honest. I gave the Raiders an F. I I don't like. Their I was posting my day one, day two losers. They were one of my day one losers. This is, my, and I'll be honest. I had rugs at nine on my wide receiver board. I am really low on him, and the reason is he can't. He's a deep threat who really struggles at tracking the ball. He had most of his big plays when he'd hit the slant, or Alabama creates motion to get him in space. And you're playing against better athletes in the NFL, and I really don't think that's gonna that speed game he had is gonna transcend as well as most people do. And he really struggles at catching the ball. In a tight window, he's really not that physical. So I hated the rugs pick. And then you reach for Damon Arnett, the cornerback, when you had all those other cornerbacks on the board who you easily could have got in the later rounds. I didn't like that pick. And then you pick back-to-back wide receivers in the third round. And 
Bowden from Kentucky is great. He can play quarterback. He can do a lot of things. Gruden could have fun with him, putting him in different positions. And everything. sure, yeah, he's more of like a gadget guy, you know, like you line him up all over. But then why do you come right back and pick Edwards? It makes like you, no sense. Why another wide receiver who who has to like. You know, and who like has to prove he can get the separation too, because right now you're already looking at a team that's going to have Rugs, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Renfro, Nelson Aguilar, Zay Jones, and then Bowden. You know, whatever you do with him, if he's coming out of the backfield or if he's you know catching passes, and then you add Edwards in the third round, where you just could have gotten something that your team needs a little bit more there. And, and he can't separate. I have. I have a couple friends that are scouts in the NFL, and they told me the number one thing they look for in a wide receiver is if they can separate. And if you can't separate, you, you can't make it in the league. And that's his biggest issue. He can't separate. Um, the one guy I really like, I like the linebacker they drafted, um, Tanner Moose. I really like him. He was their best pick in my eyes. And let me ask you this. Who is their possession wide receiver? They need a first down. Who are you throwing to for the Raiders? Because I have no idea. No, and and, the, and that's the problem. You know, it, it kind of became Renfro, who's small and like out of the slot a lot of the time, and they don't have. You know, I think maybe they're looking at it like, okay, maybe it's Waller. Maybe Waller's the guy who we're you know we we can go to. But I just they're missing the way their wide receivers are. They're missing the that chain mover. You they know, they're the missing the big guy, the like the size guy. They have the other pieces around them. Yeah. They they have like two, three, and four, and even a guy like Aguilar or Zay Jones, like they can come in and be like a fine third, fourth, you know, guy. But but they need the, you're right, they need the one. And, yeah, they don't have the one. Yeah, and and, 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 and even Muse, you know, like I like he's a linebacker. He's probably going to be some special teams too. Um, it just they didn't get where we looked at Dallas and we looked at like Baltimore as teams that it felt like every round they got value. It felt like the Raiders reached every round. And the like Raiders every did pick. such an awesome job last year, and then you come back with this, and you're kind of like, "What are you doing?" Even like even Arnett, who's aggressive, but he he was a consensus like th- like as a reach way too early. He's almost 24 years old, and he's not that athletic, so there's not like you kind of know who he is already right now. You, you um, could have got Gladney with that pick. You I know. Could've had, and even if that's your guy, even if that's your guy, which is fine, you know, maybe they're trade down something. Trade down to the third round. Get a, get another asset. Trade down because yeah. he's going to be there. They just they didn't do a very good job. Like like, like they had a bad feel for this draft. Like you, just like you made a good point. If if these are the guys they like, that's I'm fine with with all their picks. If they were ten picks later, yeah, right. And, like and gain an extra couple. Uh, gain gain a little bit more. Or gain a veteran. Do some kind of a trade where you're getting something out of it. It just they felt like they were reaching every pick. And people compare rugs to Tyreek Hill. The main difference between Ruggs and Tyreek Hill is Tyreek was drafted in the fifth round. I don't like drafting wide receivers like Ruggs that in the early. first round. No, no, I completely agree with you because it's just you. You want someone like some of the like a, even a guy like Marquise Brown who had a great year last year. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I want someone who's a little more more possession early. Early, especially in a wide receiver draft that had those guys right there. They had Judy. They had Lamb. Like you mentioned too, like he would have been someone rugs to me. Like I prefer a guy like a Pittman, not even because yeah. he's a USC guy, just because I know that he can get a little separation. He can go make a catch. Like if if the long route isn't there for rugs, he's kind of he you. Going... You can't. He can't win a jump ball in the end zone. Yes, and, that, and... that's. I mean, when you get in the red zone or the green zone inside the five, he's basically a zero factor in the passing game. 
Okay, we're going to go to the Chargers now And this is, to me, one of the teams that I thought did, did the one of the worst in the draft um, it, Mainly because their first two picks So, I'm not a Herbert guy at all um, I, I've seen him play a lot at Oregon He's a big, strong passer He can move a little bit He checks a lot of boxes but he, he doesn't have that oomph He doesn't have that it, that intangible He just he just feels like a guy Like mm-hmm. like inter- interchangeable quarterback X, you know, and you could put another one in So for me, using the number Six pick on him, that's way too high And then in a draft That's just loaded with talent I didn't think that you should be Trading up almost at all Unless you absolutely loved Someone that was a great fit, that was a great spot For you, and maybe it's Kenneth Murray But they're trading up to get him with the the LSU linebacker still on the board, um, who's going to go later with Queen still out there? I, I don't know. You get Josh Kelly who can catch some passes, so maybe he can be a back who can help out and, and spell Eckler a little bit, and maybe like battle with uh, with Jackson uh, for uh, you know a, a, a carry here or there. Um, and, and then KJ Hill, he's like a Cooper Cup comparison. They said he gets some separation, so I, I kind of like that pick, and I'm okay with Josh Kelly. But their first two picks. I did not like them at all. I don't think they got good value out of them. I mean, how many? You got to look at your team if you're the Chargers and be like, how many times are we going to be having two first round selections in the top twenty like this? And they traded in to get Kenneth Murray, and I just don't love either of those picks. I gave them a D, and it would have been an F. But I really like Hill. I really yep. think getting no, him I, can, at I seven can totally see that. Yeah, is great value, especially if Taylor is going to be starting the quarterback. Hill's going to work that slot, and he's going to be the one that's working underneath that is going to be able to move the chains around. So I really like that pick. I'm not a Herbert guy either, and I was looking at stats for Oregon. Oregon threw the ball in the screen game 21% of the time last year. And if Herbert's this big physical guy, why did they lead the nation in screen passes? That really stuck out to me because it kind of doesn't go hand-in-hand. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And he misses – Way too many easy throws. Way too many easy throws will just sail. And you're right, like physical wise, like height, arm strength, he catches a lot of boxes, but he just doesn't have it. And he misses too many easy throws. Um, the Kenneth Murray, I kind of like Murray, but you're right. Why trade up for him? And Queen's on the board. And I think you and I both agree Queen's a better player. Yeah. When we did our draft preview, I mentioned how Ingram and Bosa are in the final year of their contracts and they can't afford both of them and they should attack a, a guy that can get after the quarterback. They get in and attack that. I feel I like Joshua Kelly too. He's 212 pounds and he's their heaviest back now, but I basically feel like him and Eckler are the same player that they don't yeah, have that yeah. guy, that goal line back that can punch it in, especially because I mentioned last time they're going to be running a version of the um, Ravens rush. The Ravens, yeah. mm-hmm. Who's their Mark Ingram? They don't have one. So I mean it's If Hill wasn't picked This would have been an F but I bumped it up to a D Because I really like Hill Yeah I do too I like Hill You mentioned separation and that's kind of one of the things that I hear too And I'm reading and looking into things and people talk about Like that's what you have to look at At some of these wide receivers that are coming out of college And and the ones that seem like they they, Even late in the draft can be competitive Are the ones that can Get just get a step. They don't have to be the fastest. They don't have to be the biggest. But there is a little bit of an intangible route running when you can just mm-hmm. kind of get a little step on someone. And um, and Hill seemed to do that. So um, uh, yeah, one of the bright spots in what otherwise looked like I thought a pretty damn bad draft there. Um, then we get to the Rams. They had no first round pick um, because of the Jalen Ramsey trade. They get Cam Akers, 
who's a polished running back from Florida State. That's fine with me uh, because they got rid of Gurley. But the problem is, is they used to pick on they they used to pick on Henderson recently. Um, I I don't know exactly what they're going to do as far as the running back position is concerned. Then you have Van Jefferson, who's a wide receiver. He he's he's another one who's like he's a good route runner. They could probably bring him put him into the slot. He's more of like an older prospect. Terrell Lewis was. Super talented, but he's had some injury concerns. But it might be a it might be a good upside pick. It just might have been a little too high for an upside type pick. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of right in the middle with them. I kind of I guess I might probably feel how you feel as a fan with Detroit. I I give them like a C because I they they need. They, I don't think they're going to be great this year. I don't think they're going to be terrible. Um, they, they're they're moving in the right direction as far as the way they're handling contracts moving forward, and they're starting to shed some of the bad stuff. What they did with Gurley and and um and moving some pieces around, but to me, I don't I don't love anything they did, but I, I guess I don't really hate anything they did either. I gave them a C, but I really think they have the potential to be higher. Yeah, that um, makes sense. It was an interesting draft. I really thought with pick fifty seven, they're going to take Cleveland, the offensive tackle from Boise, mm-hmm. but by not taking them, excuse me, him, it shows me that they are confident with the way their O line played the second half of the season. That's the O line they're going to get this year. I love Cam Akers. I really think at the end of the day, Akers is going to be the best running back in this class. Yeah. He, he's going to struggle in pass blocking, but I think by week eight, he's going to be the alpha, the bell cow in there. He can do everything. He's a great pick by you guys. I really like that guy a lot. Um, the Van Jefferson pick. I think he's basically going to be Cooper Cup's replacement because this mm-hmm. is a contract year yeah, for him, that's a good and point. they're that's not going to be able to to pay everybody afford him. Yep. Um, and why I think this has a lot of potential, if Lewis and Burgess can stay healthy, both those guys would have been gone a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. Lewis can get to the um, he can get to the quarterback. Donald's going to be taking most of the attention, so he's going to have free reign. If he can stay healthy, he could have a great year. Burgess can play safety or slot. Yep, and good in coverage. Very good in the coverage. Maybe a future tight end there with Hopkins um, um, in, in the fourth round too. So yeah, I don't. I you, I think we kind of feel similar. Like they have some draft, some picks that are solid picks with high upside. I don't. There wasn't like any of these picks that were like you know uh, that I looked at and went, man, that was an automatic. That feels like an automatic home run or a grand slam, win or lose. Like you had to make that pick right there. But they they everything they did, like you can see the plan. Right, like I mean, it, it, it seems like it, they they all yeah. seem to make sense. And the Hopkins pick is because they're not going to they resign Hybe, so they're not going to be able to resign ever. Mm-hmm. So just basically, so they can run that twelve personnel. So I think like there's a good upside, but right now I'm giving it a C just yep. because of the injury question marks. That feels completely fair. I think we're right on the uh, on the same uh, page there with the Rammies. Then we get to the Dolphins, and I I mean I like what the Dolphins did. I think. That it's very fair to say with their first couple picks, and not maybe not Tua, because Tua getting Tua at five is awesome. I mean, if we if we talked about this six months ago, if Tua's not hurt, he's gonna go ahead of Burrow. Um, even with Burrow and all and all and all everything, like Tua was more of the prospect that we knew um, coming into this. He obviously gets hurt, and so you get Tua at five, and you don't have to trade anything to get up to. So that to me is what made him a great pick there. And then like Austin Jackson. At 18, that's high, right? Like, I think a lot of people figured he would be more of a late first round, early second round type pick. But if you're Miami and they did the same thing with um, Igbenogany, 
they're picking they're a team that's drafting a little bit for the future, which is fine because they're a young team that has a lot of pieces. So they look and they go, okay, we got a quarterback, we got an offensive lineman who can grow together. I mean, Austin Jackson, he got beat up when he played against better competition, but he's only 20. So I, I can see what they're doing. He they don't need him immediately to be like the one missing piece of their offensive line. And and so to me, they're like a I gave them a B to like a B plus because I thought that. They did a good job all the way down the draft They get Robert Hunt who's a really good run blocker too So you got another offensive lineman there You get uh, Raekwon Davis who's really good Against the run you get uh, the safety Brandon Jones who probably is a little bit Better fit at the slot corner you get a big Edge um, Who's like first round talent Curtis Weaver From Boise State who ended up dropping Down uh, to the fifth round So I think they maybe reached a little bit early But they got the guys they wanted Which is fine, which you can do when you have three first round picks And a ton of picks And what's crazy about this Miami team, Eric They got two more first and two more seconds next year Yeah I'll be honest, I didn't like this draft I, Sure, sure And, I, and I, can see, I can see why Like you can see, especially those first three picks So it makes, like I can understand Anyone who is where you are. I don't think it's a miserable draft. So if anyone said like, I think this was the worst, I would say oh, no. no. But but I think if you said this was the best, I would agree with you. I'm just a little bit more okay with them having the room to reach. But I completely agree with anyone who's giving them a grade similar to you, where they they did reach. They took a couple players that were just a little bit higher than they would have had to, than they might have had to pick them. I mean, and also like I'm I hate Tua. I really sure and my, that and that that's my bigness. thing with Tua is. If you watch him throw the ball, his palm placement is really off, and he has a hitch in his motion, and people compare him to Drew Brees. If you watch Drew Brees throw the ball, his head is always up, so he's always kind of looking up so he can look over the offensive line. Trua's head is straight ahead, and he's not that tall, and his release point is really low. I just really think he's going to struggle in the NFL game, and then... Another factor is he's left-handed, so now the opposite opposite side of the line is more important. I mean, I don't have. I'm just not a Tua guy. I I know I'm in the minority of that, that, and that's what changes. And I know, and but, and I'm not like sold on him either. I just think in this draft class, it was Burrow, him, and then everybody else. And I do, Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they didn't have to trade up and and use another asset to get him. So for me, I give them the points for just. Getting him at five and and not get it feeling the need or it feeling pressure to use another asset to get up to three or four. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that, and I think Jackson was a reach. And, totally reach, total reach. And then they drafted the cornerback Noah I from Auburn, but you just dra- you just signed those two guys in the secondary, and you have no safety with Xavier McKinney sitting on the board. And I so I didn't like that pick. I love Robert Hunt. I think he's going to play in the league for 10 years. He was another guy, like, when you get these guys that have to fight for it, like, he was homeless. And so he's playing for something. And I love guys like this. He's going to play for the league in the 10 years. Um, And then, like you said, Jones is the guy from Texas. He's going to play in the slot, too. So it's like they have all these cornerbacks now, and you just paid all your cornerbacks all all this money. So that's, that's another reason why I'm not high in this draft. I love Weaver, though. I think Weaver yeah. was a steal in the yep. fifth round. I mean, Weaver and Hunt, I love. Everyone else, I'm just reaches or just not, not, not just as high on. Yeah. 
And yeah. Uh, yeah, so we'll see Miami. We'll see they they may be able to uh, to figure out if some of these picks were were bust early, and then they'll have plenty of capital again next year with a couple first and a couple seconds. Um, and the thing to- with Tua is Tua kind of reminds me of Marcus Mariota. I can like, totally see that. I mean, I can see that for sure. That like that's the comparison that I see with him and. Mariota, he had all these holes, and it's just like no one really addressed them. And when I was watching the draft, and it's weird for me, like when I watch sports, I don't have the sound on, just so that way I can kind of make my own opinions and not let sure. Romo or whoever like sway him. And it was almost like if you played quarterback for Alabama, nobody on ESPN could say a bad word about you. You're right. I mean, that kind of like I kind of that kind of stood out to me. And I just, I don't know. I, to me, that's the more comparable comparison is Marcus Mariota instead of Drew Brees. We get to the Vikings, who they had two major needs coming into this draft. We knew that they needed a cornerback. We knew that they needed a wide receiver. They did a really good job right off the top, um, I think, addressing those two. I like what they did getting um, Cleveland from Boise State. he He's going to be someone down the line who's going to be a very big help on their offensive line. Um, they get Dantzler, who's physical. He competes. He may be uh, more like a, more of an outside uh, player, though, in the NFL. Uh, I like Die, who is a linebacker, strong in coverage. He's got good length. I even like uh, down in the seventh round, Wilkes, who's good versus the run. Pro Football Focus had him you know, as like a top, 85 player and they got him at 225 Which is really good value there so I thought to me they're in the B mix I thought they did a good job uh, Filling all of the needs that that uh, At least a lot of the needs that they had I gave them a B plus yeah. And the only reason they didn't get in the A range Is can Jefferson Play the outside Yep. If Jefferson can play the outside This is a home run draft Because then you move Thielen in oh, yeah. it, it just makes moves. everything so much nicer. But if he has to play the inside and Thielen has to play the inside, then it's just a nightmare at wide receiver. I love uh, Gladney. You were, high, yep, you were super high on Gladney. Yep. And this is the perfect – the Zimmer system is like the perfect system for him. And Zimmer usually doesn't let rookie corners play right away that much. Gladney's going to be in there right away. Cleveland got the highest Wonderlick store from anyone that took it in the, at the combine. So he's going to be able to pick up the blocking scheme really quick and I think he's actually going to be on the field quicker than people realize mm-hmm. and in the fifth round they got Harrison Hand from Temple who I think is going to be a safety in this league he was one of the guys the sleeper guys I profiled great against the screen game physical I mean that's a find at the fifth round and then they got um Lynch I like the Lynch kid too I think this was a great draft it addressed every single one of their needs the only negative is is if Jefferson can play the outside or not I like I like what they did. Almost everything that they did, um, really good job by the Vikes filling um, what felt like a lot a lot of holes just a few weeks ago. And now you look around and they really did a, a solid job. Um, we had Bill Belichick's dog drafting for the New England Patriots, and uh, the the question I guess I'll just ask about them is they're always like the Patriots are one of the most difficult teams. I think the Seahawks are kind of like this to to um, to grade and to analyze after the draft because we know that. That Belichick just does some crazy shit sometimes, right? Like he just yeah. goes with some like outside the box players that we don't know a whole hell of a lot of, and um and and it's it's hard to judge their draft for in, in, until you do it for a few years because they don't ever really pick in the first round. They're never really like taking chances on high like high prospect players that we know. It's just usually like 
repeat players that are a nice fit for them That they project like They have their idea of what this player is going to be When they draft them, which I don't think a, a lot of teams do So man, they're they're just a tough team To uh, to grade I just want to know like wh- The only thing I ask is Why no wide receiver in a wide receiver heavy draft And we know that they are still lacking Some playmakers over there My thing with them is I, I My draft date for them was D Just because like you said Like all these guys have question marks um to answer your question their o-line is healthy now and i really think they're gonna go to more of a run based offense hence why they drafted the two tight ends play a little bit more 12 personnel yep and then i either think they're gonna trade for Brissett or sign cam these guys anyone that gets drafted late by the patriots always makes their way on the field. And like you said, they always find it. They draft a kicker for Marshall in the third round, which is absurd. And I really think just because of Belichick, this team is going to be a lot better than people realize. And then if you put Cam, a hungry Cam or Brissett, who is a capable guy, I think this team could actually challenge for the division. As crazy as it sounds. You know, it's wide open division. And we got to remember that last year, their defense was so good and they played such an easy schedule early on but but offensively they weren't like Brady wasn't throwing the ball all over the field so they don't need someone to come in and light it up offensively either they can have sort of a game manager in there how who, which is kind of what Brady was last year who mm-hmm. was just trying not to turn the ball over a lot run the ball that's not going to be that much of a drop off for them and they had so many injuries they their center was hurt and then the guy, the kid they drafted from Georgia, whose name I'm spacing on, he missed half the season. Yep. So Michelle was getting a lot of flack. But if those guys come back and they're healthy, they're just going to pound the rock with Michelle. Um, I don't think they're as bad off. The interesting thing is, my buddy asked me this, the wide receiver from Arizona that they drafted last year, Harry. If Harry was in this draft class, where would you have put him? I don't think yeah, I would have put him in the top 12. Yeah, that's true. I mean, so you're definitely right. They definitely need some wide receiver help, but I mean, that I may think not it's going to be, be a ground a pound this year yeah, for them. For, the, for them, they might be thinking, uh, you know, we may not need a whole hell of a lot because we're just going to run, run, run. The Saints is, were a team that we talked about as one, and they only had four picks, and they they were one of the most ready right now rosters. So for them, it was more of just like adding depth. They get Cesar Ruiz, who's a center from Michigan, who is more smooth and just not flashy, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, which is what they need. If they want someone who can help them right now, they don't want or need a project with, um, with you know, a few, with maybe a year to two max left for Breeze. They get uh, Bond, the linebacker from Wisconsin, who took the majority of his snaps on the edge. He's pretty fast. He's got quick hands. They get a, a pretty well-rounded tight end in the third round. Who's a good route runner after the catch He can block um, A lot of people had him as one of the top like three to five tight ends In the draft And then they get a backup quarterback But he's not even really a quarterback He's kind of like a backup Taysom Hill <laughs> He's like one that yeah. can line up all over And he might be like their future Taysom Hill So I guess for a team that didn't have to do a whole lot They didn't feel like they made any mistakes Oh no, I gave him a B plus Yeah, um, yeah Queen was still on the board I think linebacker's only really, really weakness So but when they drafted Caesar, but I get that pick. Caesar Ruiz to me reminds me of a Zach Martin type of guy, someone that's going to come in, and just because of his knowledge of the game, he's just going to make the line immediately better. Yep, steady. 
And um, Braun fell because of that failed drug test at the Combine. But you're right. He can rush. He can drop back. The tight end they got is more of the tight end, a Jimmy Graham type, a bigger mm-hmm. guy that can go up and high point a ball in the end zone. And, I mean, I really – I gave it a B plus. I sure. really – and it's probably only not higher because they just didn't have a lot. They, don't, they, they only, only had a few picks. picks. Yeah, and that's probably but, why. I mean, they're, like, they're another team where these guys just fall to them. And you're like, how the heck did Zach Braun fall to them? Yep. How did Tatum fall to them? It's just, it's just amazing how these teams are just always in this position to hit home run picks. We get to the New York Giants. They were kind of one of those buzz teams that people were discussing, uh, you know, maybe them trading down. And uh, they end up getting uh, Sting and picking Andrew Thomas, the tackle from Georgia. I think this was surprising to a few folks, but there was like a tier of those top four offensive linemen that depending on who you were and and how you scouted them, you probably could have taken any one of those four and it wouldn't have been that crazy. They were kind of head and shoulders above everyone else. So Thomas goes at four and then the really good, uh, Value pick that they get is McKinney um, at uh, at the thirty six pick. He was still around the real versatile safety from Alabama. He's good versus the run. Uh, really good in pass coverage. Good against a pass rush. Like he he can really do it all. So this is a good pick for them. They get a tackle Matt Pert, who is six foot seven, and uh, he needs to get a little bit like kind of grow into his body a little bit more. But he's solid against the pass uh, and the rush both. Um, value on a on a cornerback from UCLA who kind of had a down year. You know what I think? I think I, I'm pretty high on the Giants. I don't think it was bad. I'm going to give them like a C plus to a B minus. I gave him a B. I feel sure Andrew Thomas is the most pro ready tackle, and that's why they went with him. And then to get McKinney, who can, you can put right against Peppers, right? Excuse me, right next to Jabil Peppers in the back in the back four. And he can come up and play linebacker. He can blitz. That was a great pick in the second round. Um, the thing with Matt Perrette, he's going to sit this year. Nate Solder, who's who's the left tackle, is in his last year of his contract. So Perrette will sit, put on weight, learn the position. And then after Solder walks, Thomas will move over to the left. Perrette will side in the right. And they're able to add a lot of linebacker depth, mm-hmm. too which I really like. I mean, Cam Brown is a little bit of an under-the-radar guy. He can come in and be a situational pass rusher. Um, the kid Holmes from UCLA, he's great. He's a great slot corner. He's And they're going to need him now because Dallas is going to be running the majority of three wide receiver sets, and Philly added all those speed wide receivers, so they're going to need a slot corner that can cover, which they got in Holmes. The Shane, the Shane Lemieux pick I thought was kind of a reach. I thought they could have got him later. And Mr. Irrelevant, Trey Crowder was a – actually a running back and then he switched positions at Georgia and I think just because of his athleticism and his speed he's going to make the team as a special teams player in a couple years he'll be part of the um, linebacker rotation yeah I I've I no no real knocks on what they did I think it was, pre- it was pretty solid there and, and and then we see kind of a similar thing with the Jets right the Jets and the and the Giants, they have their young quarterbacks they feel like that might be their franchise guys. So what do we need to do? We need to protect these young quarterbacks. They get six foot seven, three hundred and sixty pound tackle from Louisville, uh, Makai Becton. Really good physical tools. Needs a little bit of mechanical, like fundamental help, but he's a big, big dude right there. Like just off that size alone, putting him out there is going to help. Uh, they get Mims, the wide receiver from Baylor. Who maybe needs a little bit improvement on the route, but he's six three two fifteen. So now you get you get a big um, weapon up front to help block. And then you get a big 
weapon to uh, for your quarterback to to target with Mims, um, the safety from California, Ashton Davis is he's a big time athlete. He's a former track star, um, good single high safety type, major athleticism with uh, Zuniga on the the defensive front, inside outside, and then and even Bryce Hall, the cornerback, he might have been a first round pick last year. Um, he. He yeah. actually had the best forced incompletion percentage in all of NCAA football in 2017, 2018, and he got hurt week seven, yeah. and he dropped. And you know he's one of those really high upside picks. I think they did a good job, and it looked like uh, it was what Adam Gase's son there, like solving the Rubik's cube. <laughs> he's yeah. like a genius or something. But yeah. you know, I, to me, this is solid. I kind of feel similar, I guess, with the Giants that they did. Like I would have them into the like low B to the high C range. I, I actually gave them the B plus. Um, sure, yeah. Their first two picks, they do have a little questions. Becton failed that drug test at the combine. And then one GM said he likes to cook and eat more than actually play football, (laughs) which, I mean, you know, who knows if that's true or not. But he is a big guy, and if he does, if he's able to, if that's false and he's actually able to play the position, since he is so tall, his pad level gets a little high. But he could be that anchor they need in that line because Darnold did get sacked 63 times. I mentioned separation before. Mims was having a hard time separating against Big 12 DBs last year, and if you can't separate against the Big 12 DB, it makes me question how much you're going to be able to do it at the NFL level. That's my big worry with him. He was actually one of my big prop bets I hit. They go in the second round, and then the second round, I bet you'd be over 40. Um, I love the Davis kid from Cal, and I really think they're going to end up trading Jamal, Jamal Adams, the, their starting safety mm-hmm. now, and he's going to be able to come in. And if he, they keep him, he can play right next to him. I think that's a great find. Um, the pass rusher, another, I, I love him. And the inter- there's two interesting picks for me, and they're both in the fourth round. Uh, P. Ryan, the running back from Florida, they can get out of the Bell contract this year, which is I found interesting because – I think they kind of need to move him to free up some money. I'm really not a bell guy. Yes. And another situation where, hey, Sam Darnold, we just drafted James Morgan, who has a strong arm. This is your year. You got to put up or you're out because he's another one of those guys who didn't take that big step in that second year. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I'm not a Darnold guy at all. I mean, I've never seen a guy get more more of a pass just on potential alone. He just and, feels like a guy. And and I I felt this way at USC too. He makes he can make some things happen and he felt like a really good college quarterback. He's always kind of had small hands. He turns the ball over a little bit. Um he makes like a really good it's just like the, the really good decision, really bad decision, really good play, really bad play. There's just not a whole lot of consistency from him. Um mm-hmm. so I'm I'm never yeah, I, I've never really been uh, a Darnold guy, but I guess if the Jets are, they they did a decent enough. Like we can see what they did getting the weapon, even if it's Mim. I kind of agree with you on Mims. Like he definitely needs to improve his route running and get a little more separation. And uh, and Beckton, we don't want him to eat himself into uh, yeah. four hundred pounds. Uh, but they that Hall pick we, was great though. Hall pick I was great. Sorry. We can see no no we can see what they did. Um, but but I'm kind of with you. Like this is a big year for Darnold. Oh yeah, make or break year, make or break year because. I can already see them struggling going like one and five and Morgan's in their plane. Yep. And then the pressure starts coming on what's yep. going on with Gase and, and then yep. Le'Veon Bell starts talking and he's upset and he wants to go somewhere else, you know? So, um, they, they got to fall off. Pretty yeah. Soon. They, they could, they could be quickly, quickly there. 
As we get to the Eagles, we knew right away what the Eagles needed. They needed wide receiver help. This was a very deep wide receiver draft, and they get Raygor, who is, is super explosive. His plays of fifteen, he had plays a fifteen plus yards on fifty one point six percent of his catches over the last two years, which was second in college, um, and all of that dealing with a bad quarterback. In fact, he only had a catchable target. On 61.4% of his passes Which was ranked 118 out of 120 That qualified for that ranking So this was a guy who If he's got a stud quarterback last year He's going higher But because he doesn't have great quarterback play You don't see the gaudy numbers from him But it's not his fault This is a good pick for Philly I like him quite a bit The the Hurts one is the one that, that made the noise People are wondering Okay, um is this guy someone that you think is your future Or are you literally, are you just spending a second round pick On a backup We know that um, They've had you know tons of health problems With, with their quarterbacks And with Wentz um, over the last couple of years So having a, a, quarter, a backup Who also can maybe get into some other packages And you can use in some other ways In the backfield or as a receiver I guess I can see it But I don't I think you and I were both Like I've never really been that high on Hurts um, I to me, that just felt like a weird spot to take him. I, I could, I'm fine with it if it's like maybe round three or round four, and you're doing that. Um, so I guess the jury's out for me on this Philly draft. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I, I, I do like that first pick quite a bit. The rest of their selections, you know, Taylor from Colorado, he's kind of a good prospect. He's more raw, like he's a real athlete. He's a little raw. Clemson, they get Wallace. He's physical. He's got good instincts. He's really good in slot coverage. So some positives, but the one I guess this draft. Class for them will a lot will be determined on like what they do with Hertz moving forward. Like what, where do they see him as part of their team in the next few years? I gave them a D minus actually. I I just don't like this draft. Um, Rayner is good, and the thing with the Eagles is they need that deep threat. But they drafted like three of them. They drafted Hertz, Hightower, and Watkins, who all do the same thing, just stretch stretch the field. So that doesn't make sense to me. And Hurts, to me, is a developmental quarterback with no arm strength. And if they do the whole Hill thing that the Saints do, that hasn't won the Saints any championships. Mm-hmm. I, I, would really want, I would rather want my franchise quarterback in there to make a play than a gadget-type player. Yep. And then if you do, then with, for the people that say, well, Wentz gets hurt. Well, if Wentz gets hurt, Hurts doesn't have anywhere near the arm strength. So you'd have to totally redo the whole offense. So this whole that pick to me was one of the worst picks. It, it I just felt like a wasted pick. It felt like a weird one. Yeah. And they, they have such a hole at linebacker. Why not take Queen at twenty one, trade up, and get Rain Rangor at the end of the first round? Makes no sense. I mean, like I really like the defense, the offensive tackle they got. Um, from Auburn in the sixth round, I really like that pick. Or Driscoll at the fourth, at the fourth, I think. Yeah, Driscoll yeah. is uh, one forty-five. Yeah. Oh no, they got Prince Tay. Oh, Prince Tay. What? Yeah, yeah. From yeah. the tackle from Auburn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they got yeah, him. I really like that guy. I think that guy can play right away. I think that's a great find, and it's really hard to question a GM that has won a Super Bowl. But I have so many questions for Howie right now that I'm just like, what? What are you doing? The Eagles, neither one of us really really high on what the what Philly did in their draft this year as we move on to the Steelers, a team that did not have a first round pick, but the, the pick they traded it for, who they traded it for last year, Minka Fitzpatrick, did a hell of a job for them. 
And I don't think many folks felt like Chase Claypool was going to drop to them uh, The Notre Dame wide receiver who can win that one-on-one matchup He's 6'4", he's 230 plus um, he, he has the opportunity right now to produce for them And be uh, you know, someone who's a big target They got the linebacker out of Charlotte Who's a, a really good pass rusher in the blitz um, That's Highsmith uh, They get Dotson who's a solid run blocker He needs a little help against the pass They get Antoine Brooks who... Was one of the better projected um, Or maybe I, mean, I think he might be better projected at a, As a linebacker than as a safety in, in the NFL, he's just not quite as good Against the pass I, I don't know with him, I, I don't think it was bad um, I would give them to me Like a high C I gave them a C minus, I love Last time I was on, I talked way too much About Claypool I love this kid And you, now you have him and Ebron That can win a jump ball in the end zone It's going to make things easier for Juju too Oh yeah, and now Juju's going to be able to play more slot So, I mean, this is This is a great pick for them Highsmith, small school from Charlotte Great at rushing the, the passer But I really think they could have got him a little bit later I felt that was a little bit of a stretch This is a contract Year for Connor And by picking McFarland from um, Maryland, it tells me That they're going to roll with Connor because he compares more to Benny Snell than he does with Connor. Um, so I just really feel that they didn't really get anyone that could help them right away. Um, that's why I gave him the C- minus. besides uh, Chase Claypool. Claypool. I think Claypool yeah. is the only one that's really going to help him right away. Highsmith will be a situational pass rusher. But I still like this team. Like I said last time, I have him at 35-1 to 1 to win it all. Next up, uh, the team that was just a couple minutes away from winning the Super Bowl last year. And they they felt to me similar with like the a Vikings team in that they had like two major needs that we thought like we thought with the Vikings they need a wide receiver and a cornerback and with San Francisco they just traded Buckner so we know they need a def- we need like defensive front help and and they need some wide receiver help because they uh, Emmanuel Sanders is gone and they just need a little another piece there. They did a damn good job. They at the 14th pick, they were able to get that defensive tackle from South Carolina, who's the Buckner replacement with Kinlaw right away. They were able to get uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, who can line up all over the place. He's a great route runner. And then don't forget, I think you have to kind of use this in their draft. They add Trent Williams for a 2020 fifth a fifth rounder and a 2021 third rounder. So instead of uh, you know drafting an offensive lineman because Joe Staley retires, they get Trent Williams, who's probably an upgrade over him as it is right now. And then you can draft a tackle from West Virginia who might be able to help you down the line. And maybe that's kind of like a quote unquote Staley replacement. Uh, they they did a really really good job in my opinion. I like what they did. It felt like a team that did not. They didn't have a whole lot of holes, and they checked a lot of those boxes right now. I gave him a B plus. Um, Kinlaw's great, able to come in like you said, replace Buckner front four, which was a strength last year. Won't lose a beat, and he's the young guy in the rotate on the front four, so he's not going to draw a lot of the heat from the offensive line. Mm-hmm. So he's in line to have a huge season. They couldn't have gotten a better wide receiver to play. Alongside Debo, that's a perfect. They have match. they have such a type, right? Like they have a oh, yeah. type. They love their their after the catch, like guys that can run after the catch too. Like they just they have a they they do a good job. They have a plan. Like they've done they've done a hell of a job. We're talking about a team that two years ago 
was awful And we're talking about a team that we're we're all wondering Like is Shanahan the guy Is he on the hot seat And uh, it's amazing where they are right now Than where they were you know what 14 months ago They've done a great job building Even the guy they got in the 7th round Jennings Jennings averaged 7.5 yards a catch And then he forced 30 missed tackles last year He's I that mean, guy they love great, He's that type He's the after I mean, the he's catch. a great, yeah. a great guy And like you said the My main thing with the Williams trade is he's going to be 32 next year and he and by the time football starts he will not have played a down in 500 days so is he going to be able to like be able to get it back yep that's I mean a, that's that's the big thing very valid question a very valid question I, I gave him a b plus actually I mean I I like everything they did it's hard to fault anything they they did yep yep they should be uh, another top tier team again this year. The the Seattle team is always one that's that's hard to to get a feel for because they're sort of like New England in that they have like it seems like everybody's got a big board and then they've got a different board and then they're looking at. Um, they do get the the uh, the linebacker from Texas Tech, um, but Jordan Brooks, who felt like a really big reach at twenty seven, I think for a lot of people. Um, then they get Daryl Taylor from Tennessee He's kind of raw, he's talented He came on late in the season They get the big interior guard, Damian Lewis To help uh, with their running game And they get a, ta- uh, a tight end from Stanford Who's got a big catch zone, he's a red zone threat Some running back depth there With DJ Dallas um, I just and, like To me, this is a, One of the teams that was the hardest to gauge Because I felt like they definitely reached Early, so I'm giving them, to me They'd be in like the low end of a C, even into the D uh, range I gave them a D I mean, they totally reached on Brooks Then they drafted Taylor With um, Espenza Still on the board um, Damian Lewis, they drafted Him, and my boy Cushenberry Jack, Jonah Jackson, who the Lions Ended up getting, and Josh Jones The offensive tackle that went to the Cards that he was still on the board, so it's kind of like they took somebody who I have graded significantly lower than those three. The thing with Parkinson is I never really felt he played to his potential at Stanford, and then they just signed Greg Olson, so that pick really, to me really didn't make sense. Dallas, the running back from Miami, tells me that Penny or Carson, one of those injuries, like I mentioned last it's time. It's worse than little, it is. Yep, so I really think that is. Elton Robinson is a stud he had a great 2018 season had a decline in production this year that's why he fell he's able to get to the get to the quarterback i think that's a great pick and in the seventh round they got steven sullivan from lsu the tight end and here's another guy i mean this guy was homeless him and his brother were living under a bridge and their parents were in jail when he was 10 years old and he, it's kind of like his football coach noticed him and like put him in with the family, went to LSU, was a wide receiver, then switched to the tight end. So he's a home run waiting to happen. He just felt he doesn't know the position. I mean, if this guy can develop, which I think he'll be able to because of his work ethic, I mean, him in the seventh round, he's going to be a home run pick. So I actually like Robinson and Sullivan, everyone else really not that big of a fan of. The Tampa Bay Bucks, one of the final three teams that we have to talk about for the draft this year. And hey, we know we know what Tampa's doing now, right? They got Brady, they got Gronk in the offseason. They have two awesome wide receivers there already. They what do they need to do? They need to strengthen that offensive line. So they make sure they trade up a pick. 
to get one of those top tier offensive linemen, and that was Tristan Wirfs. He's super athletic. He's powerful. He maybe needs a little bit of technique improvement, but he should be ready right now to rock and roll and to give them a little bit of uh, of coverage for uh, for Tom there. They get Wingfield Jr., who's a safety from Minnesota, really good instinct. He's fast. He just has a little bit of injury history, so maybe he he is some. He could have gone a little bit higher if he was healthy And then they get a, you know, a running back from Vanderbilt Who's more of a zone runner He's kind of solid, not flashy So it's probably going to be a running back by committee There for them with uh, with Jones Tyler Johnson He is he gets the great separation That we've talked about He was um, like a, someone who was ranked Really high on a lot of people's big boards He's really good at the contested catch So I, you know, I think with their top four picks, especially, um, I, I don't really have anything negative to say about what they did with those. Um, you're totally right with Worse. Worse really needs to work in his technique. I'm I'm a coach. That's my other thing as a coach, and my facility shut down, so I've been watching a lot of film past month or so. And the thing I noticed with Worse is when he drops back in pass block, his legs are really close together, and in the NFL, you're going to be able to be knocked off balance really yep. quickly. So you got to be able to get that wider base, which he really needs to work on. The Winfield pick I found interesting because J.K. Dobbins was still on the board when they took him. So it shows me that the Bucs actually do have a little belief in Ronald Jones. Mm, Yep. Um, Winfield, he can play safety or slot corner. And the DBs being able to check somebody is really important in the Todd Bowles system. So I kind of like that pick. And, Keyshawn Vaughn, he's able to catch the ball. Last time I was on, I told everyone, whatever pass catcher they get, draft him in fantasy football. That's Vaughn because Brady can't throw it down the field. And Rojo's never been a, a good pass catcher. I mean, he never was at USC either. He's mm-hmm. just never been really good. He doesn't have great hands. Yeah, so, I mean, he's going to – he's James White in this offense. My thing with Tyler Johnson, and I watched a lot of Minnesota football because I had a 70-1 to one to win the Big Ten, um, he drops a lot of balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand the pick because last year when Evans and Godwin got hurt, they had no wide receiver depth. So I get the pick, but he he drops a lot of balls for my liking. T- TV right now, I get too happy with someone like that in practice who's dropping oh, no. the ball that's right after it, that's right at him, right? So um, they also yeah. have Howard. Are they going to be able to trade Howard? Yeah, I mean, they, I they found gotta, it weird that they didn't, fi- they weren't able to find a trading. Completely card for agree. I was expecting them to trade Howard over the weekend. I figured that they would be get, trading him, getting back some kind of draft capital, and then maybe help use that on their defense or you know or some something. But it does, you know, maybe they'll find a way. But when you have Gronk and Howard there now, you know, and Bray and and Bray, yeah, and, and like Gronk is a good blocker too. You know, he's not like one of the like I think people forget sometimes that like he's actually an awesome blocker too. But it just yeah. it doesn't it, it doesn't seem like it's gonna fit with all of with all of them there. Or, we'll see. There's still time. Maybe they. Make some kind of a move, but because I really was... feel like the position that's missing for them is cornerback, mm-hmm. and I agree. that's why I gave them a B minus because I really think that's something they should have addressed. So yeah, that hundred percent. Like they, we know they can score, and I I like their front seven on the defensive side of the ball too. It's just can they slow people? Can they slow someone down who's got a really good passing attack? I don't think so yet. I think they and still playing need... the Saints twice, playing the Falcons twice. You have to be able to put up. You have to be able to check the wide receivers. Absolutely Um, We get to Tennessee, the Titans And they pick Isaiah Wilson 
I mean, they're a run-heavy team Conklin's gone This is going to be their new right tackle He's 350 plus pounds He can move Maybe he's a little bit better at guard But this was a need that they had So they fill it right there They get the cornerback from LSU Who has got really good recovery ability Pro Football Focus just loves this guy um, Got a great incomplete, uh, completion rate he, he forces tight coverage on you um, The running back from App State He's a good compliment to Henry He's got big playability. He's going to be the Deion Lewis for them. Henry needs a couple, you know, to come off the field a little bit here and there. And then you get Cole McDonald from uh, Hawaii. He's he, a lot of the comparisons to him are Jameis. He's just like got a big arm, but they yeah. said just terrible decision making. Um, so t- I kind of gave them like a C to a low C. I think they hit a couple spots they needed. They needed the the running back to spell Henry a little bit. They needed some offensive line help. Um, the the run the cornerback um, could project high, but I, I think they maybe they missed on a couple of their other picks. I gave him a C too. I feel like yep. Wilson was kind of a reach. I agree. I think they do need a pass rusher. They could have gone Gross Matos or Espenza was still on the board. With with Fulton, you either love him or you hate him. And I actually had him number two on my board. I think he's a great replacement to come in. And replace Logan Ryan, who left in free agency. I really like that pick a lot. Last time I was on, I talked a lot about Evans from Appalachian State. And with the running back, I feel it's all about the system and the scheme. And he's a great zone running back. But the Titans were four were in the bottom four last year in zone running plays. So, like, system-wise, it's really not a great fit. Um but he's going to be that pass catching back because Henry can't catch the ball. So anytime they get down, he's going to be in and he's a good handcuff in fantasy because he's just an injury away from taking over that top spot. And if they do that, Tennessee's going to have to change their whole run principle game because they're, they're just a straight ahead, straight arrow, straight arrow running scheme, not a zone blocking scheme. So I really felt this wasn't the best landing spot for Evans. And you're totally right about, Cole, the Hawaii wonder. I remember that game, the Hawaii. A lot of Hawaii because they're the last game to bet, you know. So, like us that bet games, they're a lot of the times they're like the get out game and they're the one that's on late and we're watching it, you know. And (laughs) And you're like, what are you doing, kid? Yeah, every time. What are you doing? (laughs) I love when you see the Jameis comparison. It's always a funny one. Um, And then we get to our final team, the Washington Redskins. And they were in an interesting spot, but you mentioned it right away. It's like they, they didn't need. Help on the defensive line In fact like if you looked at You know like like some of their, their unit strengths And stuff their defensive front Is probably one of their better Like units but they looked at this draft And they they got their Quarterback Haskins last year And they said you know what This Chase Young is by far The best player on a lot Of people's big boards he is one Of those players that could absolutely Change the fortune of your franchise He could be a game Freaking changer we gotta pick him Here let's not get cute We're just gonna pick the best player available and To me when you do that right Off the bat you're at least not Gonna be criticized and I don't I can't I, I have a tough time saying they had a bad Draft you know because that's a great way to Start there um with uh, Antonio Gibson, they get he's more of a running back. He actually had like he's 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 listed as a wide receiver, but he had 38 receptions last year. He broke tackle on on 17 of them. He's probably going to be more of like out of the backfield, catch the ball a little bit. They were actually um, comparing him a little bit to um um what what's their back their their back the uh, Chris the uh, um no oh. for Washington um 
Chris uh, Thomas. There Chris we go. Thompson. 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 Yeah. yeah. They said he's he's very similar. So maybe someone who, you know, Thompson, who's unfortunately had like bad injury issues over the last couple of years, when he's on the field, he's actually really good out of the backfield. Um, they get the tackle for LSU who can line up um also at guard. They get a, a big catch radius possession wide receiver from Liberty, who's actually it, it's a little bit sneaky. He's from Liberty, so people don't know a whole lot about him. And then they get another uh, center from San Diego State who can line up at guard. So you know what? I give Washington positive grades here. I'm like they're in the B range for me, probably like B minus to a flat B. I gave him a straight B. Um, Chase Young, best player of the draft, and you have to take him in this position. And he's going to come in. He's going to make everybody in that defense better, just because yep. he's going to be make the quarterback rush through his progressions. They, I think, a guy like Gibson. He reminds me of Tyreek from Chicago. I think he's a guy you give 10 touches a game to. You can line him up in the slot. You can swing him out in the backfield, work him in the screen game, give him 10 touches a game is perfect. The main thing with Charles, Charles had a lot of off-the-field issues at LSU. He had that failed drug test, the alleged mm-hmm. sexual allegation. If he's able to stay clean, they got the replacement for Trent Williams. If not, then they have the issue. I love – Gandy Golden, and if he would have went to a Power Five conf, Power Five school, he's going he way been, higher. Way yeah. higher. He was one of my little sleeper things that I did on my uh, Instagram account. He can high point a ball, win a jump ball. He's not that fast, but he's really quick right in front of you with his footwork, so he's able to create that separation. I actually, I had him, I had him higher than Rugs on my board. Believe it or not, um, I really think this is a solid draft, and they're really starting to lay the foundation. In Washington, they just have to decide if Haskins is the guy. Or I was not. just going to ask you, what do you, where do you stand on him? I think he's awful. I do I too. Mean, he's not I the guy to me. He's not. And I, and that doesn't mean they should have gotten the guy right now. I'm okay uh, with them giving him a little bit more of a look with a better team around him. And 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 I'm fine with admitting if I'm wrong and if he is better this year and he's improved and maybe Rivera um, figured you know whatever for, for whatever reason new coach coming in they figured out. But he's not my guy. I, I'm fine with him not. Going for him this year But I think they got to make their decision really quick Because next year is the year that you know A few teams are going to be trying to get Lawrence I don't know if they're going to be in line to be one of the worst Teams in the league because they're a lot more Talented right now than they were last year Yeah they're going to they're going to be good I mean their defense is going to be better They got uh, Del Rio As their DC who's going to immediately improve that Defense I mean their defense is going to keep them in the games mm-hmm. Just because they're young and everyone else is overall Better I just like you said, I just don't think Haskins is, is the guy, but if Charles is a guy, at least they're laying the foundation with the offensive line. And Justin Fields is coming out next year, too. So Lawrence and Fields are coming out next year. So there's going to be some quarterback options if they elect to go that route. But with Haskins, I just don't I just don't see it. Yep. I would. I, he, he's not my my franchise QB. So, uh, um, OK, before we get out of here. Give us um, kind of your overview. So who were a couple of the teams that you thought hit it out of the park? And then who were a couple of the teams that you thought stunk it up? Um, I thought the Ravens, Cowboys, and Broncos all hit home runs. And teams that I thought the Packers and Texans had the two worst drafts. Yeah, it's just... The, there's no plan. It, did, it didn't fit. It didn't fit the plan. We know with O'Brien, he's not really been making the right decisions. And then the questions about Lafleur and and Rogers. How well did they get along? Because it. I just really think there's shady stuff going on right there. Yeah. And that Lafleur, that third, 
Green Bay is the franchise that gives you the longest leash, I feel. I mean, look how long McCarthy was the mm-hmm. coach. That 13-3 and season bought LaFleur, like, a couple a more A couple years. years, yep. And now, like, hypothetically, let's say they do bad. They don't make the playoffs this coming up year. And then next year, the year after they don't make the playoffs. Rodgers is playing Rogers for, like, is, uh, Jacksonville yeah. or someone. Rod- <laughs> right? Rodgers Rogers is in Tampa Bay because Tom Brady retired. Yeah, because Brady's gone now, yeah. <laughs> and then LaFleur be like, well, I've been working with this guy for two years. you got to give me one more year with him. Yep. You know, so, I mean, I just... I just think there's some shady stuff going on. I agree with you. It 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 feels fishy. There's just something weird about it. And uh, man, I, I really appreciate it. We just hit the two hour mark. There's oh, wow. very few people that have the knowledge in the of college football and pro football that could go through everyone, all the teams, all their needs, recap the draft. You do a hell of a job, man. When you come on, I've gotten great feedback from a lot of the folks out there. They really appreciate uh, the work that you put in. Let, uh, let the folks out there know, where can we follow you uh, on social media? Um, I'm at etoff 21 sports on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So, you know, follow me on there. And I give out stuff. Thanks for having me on. Anytime you need me, I'm more than happy to come on. Looking forward to it again, man. This was a blast. Uh, we recapped everyone in the draft, so um, make sure to give Eric a, a follow. He is a really, really sharp gambler and very, very sharp uh, analysis with this kind of stuff, and we can take a lot of what he said and use it for uh, daily fantasy and fantasy as well as for betting. Thanks a lot, buddy. Stay safe there. Um, we'll we'll bring you back soon. We'll we'll figure out something to talk about, whether it be more football uh, with a, maybe like a season preview. We'll start to go through some of the divisions. We'll look at some of the, uh, you know, like when... We'll do, maybe that'll be the next thing we do once the win totals and stuff are up. Um, we can start looking at like uh, over-under team totals, and uh, we can go like through some of the divisional odds and things like that. Sounds good, man. Just want to know when. Okay, buddy. That's uh, Eric there. Make sure to give him a follow. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors, but don't go anywhere. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? 
Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. A big thank you to Eric. He does a great, great job there with uh, his NFL uh, analysis. and It's fun around the draft, right? Because all of as a team, well, I guess unless you're one of the teams that's scratching your head going like, what the hell did my team just do? It's like a, a point of hope. The draft is always like a hopeful point for everyone in the league. The very beginning of the seasons, right? Spring training, and then like the first game of the season. Those are usually a couple points where every team, at least for a little while, feels like they've got a shot. So, NFL season will start to do, I think, next week or one of the next couple weeks. Maybe we'll break down the teams a little bit more individually. So I'll look for uh, for guests that cover each team, and we'll we'll talk about you know what they went, everything that they did in free agency and through the draft and then how that will help them moving forward what they need and then we'll look at you know team odds to win divisions over under win totals all sorts of stuff like that big thank you to eric let's get you to some horse racing let's talk uh thursday horse racing get the past performances out we're gonna go to Gulfstream park for thursday april the 30th so we'll go Gulfstream. For Thursday, Oaklawn for Thursday, Golfstream for Friday, Oaklawn for Friday. We'll get to race number six at Golfstream Park. And uh, I'm going to go with the eight in here. Humor me, Dixie. I think if we can get anything around three to one or so, that seems about fair. Humor me, Dixie is coming out of a very, very strong race. And... Uh, the, the, the issue that I have is that was back in July, but she's going only five furlongs in here, so we're not talking about, and she's got speed. It should just be, you know, break well. Maybe you can sit off a little bit if need be, but just, you know, get right up in the mix throughout. She had a good start. She went right to the lead. She was in between without really being asked, and she battled hard. Um, she battled hard. She was going head up and head up with a nine to five joysome. She won the battle along the inside, but she tires late and abscond and acts Bailey come running. And that was a strong race at Ellis Park. Abscond, the winner of that, is a grade one, ends up you know becoming a grade one winner later. The runner-up, Ask Bailey, won a, a maiden special weight next out and his multiple stakes placed. The sixth fin- uh, place finisher won a maiden special weight next out, beating the fourth place finisher in that race who was second. So that was a really, really live race that Humor Me Dixie come, uh, comes out of. And obviously with Irad Ortiz Jr. jumping aboard, he just seems like he's so much better than everybody else uh, riding at Gulfstream Park and, and he'll you know probably give you a, a really good opportunity. So I think the eight is a must-use in, um, in any exotics that you play. We'll make a win wager if we can get around three to one or so. I think the nine um, is the one to beat, and that's the one to hold off fuddled. So if if you're playing any kind of exotics, those would be the two I hook up. But I'm looking for the eight. Have an opportunity here coming out of that strong race, a little maturity now. First start at three with some speed drawn toward the outside. Can maybe sit off and press a little bit if need be. Let's go with humor me, Dixie in race number six. In race number seven at Gulfstream Park couple horses uh, 
to take a look at. Again, we'll be using Irad Ortiz Jr. on top with the four Bramble Bay. And mainly this comes into to trip in this particular race. It looks like Bean Counter from the inside. I think we'll be flashing some speed. Augusta Moon won't be a, you know far out of it. And then you look, you know, Chicago, Miss uh Mixteca, um, Omnia, um, they do a lot of their best running. Right near the front end Wouldn't be shocked to see I am magical also Pretty close to it So I want a horse who has the opportunity To come from off the pace If you look at Bramble Bay She Have plenty of pace to chase in here This barn is actually much more capable Than it looks like at first glance on paper With this type of layoff With the right horse They can get them ready to fire off You know the plus 180 day layoff And what I like about her is She's not the type who's going to be You know Probably involved throughout She'll just be take back Make one late run I think it's easier sometimes For a horse like this to come off of a layoff Than maybe a speed horse Who's going to have to you know Lay down the fractions throughout And really be running hard all the way around So let's give the four top billing in here Bramble Bay We'll put the four on top of uh, The one bean counter And the two I'll do it my way You know she's facing older And uh, she May not be quite as good But she has that kind of a style where I think she has enough speed to place herself in a good spot And she might be able to just kind of fall into Hitting the board in here Or maybe even an opportunity at a big price To shock the world So let's use the 4 Bramble Bay With the 1 Bean Counter and the 2 I'll do it my way in race number 7 If we can get around the you know 7 to 2, 3 to 1 I think that's probably fair on Bramble Bay Another one we can make a win wager If we get around that price Nothing really outside the box here in race number 8 But uh, I do like the 10 Fast Magic the most And that's the one that I will just kind of recommend to not leave out of some of your late exotics The the, the 10 Fast Magic will be making his first start as a 3 year old He debuted back in November at Churchill Downs And we haven't seen him since then He had a slow start, he kind of hopped a little bit He had a little bit of traffic Then he was able to get over He was... In the sixth, he was about 10 lengths off He angles three wide, he closed really well down the center of the racetrack He was not far out of second that day He exits a really strong race The winner, Shaw Shaw Shake Me Up Actually just recently won a nice allowance race at Oaklawn Pretty impressively The runner-up is a maiden special weight winner And was recently second against optional 50 The fourth place finisher won a maiden 25 next out The fifth is now a maiden special weight winner Spanish Kingdom The eighth place finisher is a multiple winner So that race has come back live Especially as as Fast Magic drops in for 50 here But you know you look He was only a $25,000 purchase price so, so dropping in for 50 doesn't bother me A whole hell of a lot I don't think there's something wrong with this horse It wasn't like they spent you know 300000 now you're in for 50 This is probably a really good spot for him And maybe he was a uh, you know Just a little bit better than they thought even So uh, the 7 Chill Haze looks like one that could sit pretty nicely The 8 Bourbon Street And the 9 Speedy Hans They're all very logical But I will put the 10 on top of them And uh, we'll be looking for I guess pretty similar prices with uh, with you know All the first couple If we can get around 3 to 1 uh, or so That seems fair with uh, the 10 There in race number 8 Fast Magic Last opinion at Gulfstream Park For Thursday 
In the 10th race, I think the one is a good late exotic single. I'll take the cake. He was claimed by the this she was claimed by this new barn. She stepped up and won a stakes race first off the claim. That was back in February. That race has come back live. The second place finisher, Liza Starr, won an optional 62, non two, then was third in an optional 75. You you look at Vault, that's a stakes winner who just won the third race in a row. All take the cake with the inside draw Has the speed but can sit and save some ground Some options there For all take the cake Which is a late exotics single For me there um, I wouldn't be shocked if that one gets bet down a little bit 2 to 1 seems about fair price If you're looking like on an uh, individual race standpoint So at Gulfstream Park in uh, On Thursday April the 30th In race number 6 Let's go to the eight. Uh, humor me, Dixie. We can around seven to two. That seems fair. Include in some exotics with a nine. Fuddled. Seventh race, the number four, uh, Bramble Bay. We'll uh, use an all exotics if you can get a win wager around seven to two or so with the number one being counter. The number two, I'll do it my way. In the eighth race, the number 10, Fast Magic. Anything around three to one seems fair. Use this with the seven, eight, and nine. And then the tenth race, the number one, I'll take the cake. Two to one. Seems fair. We'll make this one a late exotics single. That is Gulfstream Park for Thursday. Oakland Park, Thursday, April the 30th. Let's get you over to Oakland Park. And um, first play at Oakland is going to be in race number four. And that's going to be the number nine, Kizzy B, who's actually lined up right next door to Shazzy. Be the number 10 But we're going with Kizzy here And I actually Liked her last effort right It was in the slop It was going a mile and a 16th And she sits a close up third She's three deep She's a couple lengths off But the time she moved up The horse who won that day Lucky Betty Was already Had already snuck away She'd already opened up a couple lengths She was long gone And Lucky Betty Just came back and won In a pretty nice race most recently, so she's so Kizzy B is coming out of a productive race. That was also Kizzy B's first start at Oaklawn, first start for a new barn, and it was over a sloppy track. So you have a reason to believe that she can improve a little bit, and she really wouldn't have to improve a whole heck of a lot to be right there with the top contenders in this race. Let's go with Kizzy B. We'll uh, make a win wager on Kizzy B if we can get anything around, you know, seven to two. Or so seems fair Make sure to include in all of your exotics Race number 5 More just uh, Maybe a long shot to include It seems like the, the This level for the one No distortion Is a much This is a, a, a good spot I think you get your, your race um, out of the Off the bench out of the way uh, With the April race That was the first start in a couple months Now you stretch back out And you know, look at some of the races Just three and four starts back You see Frenzy Fire And Happy Farm and, and just tons better in here His top effort Could win this race At a great price Stretching back out from the inside Saving some ground Use the one No distortion In all of your exotics He feels more like a 10 to 1 shot So anything over that um, Make sure to uh, put a few bucks On this one In race number 6 the 11 Is going to be the play for me And that is a victory element Let's look at his last couple So Comes into this barn 
well, go back to November the 24th when he dropped in for the Maiden 20, and he wins at Churchill Downs. And then comes back to the races on January the 25th for the New Barn, wins nicely, 25 non 2. And then he stretches out and he hooks a horse named Town Champ, who in his last five starts has four wins and a second and is just in excellent, excellent form. I think you can just make an, a legit excuse for Victory Element that day. Put a line right through it. Because Victory Element comes back, stretches out to a mile, and and runs really and, and runs really well. So we have good effort November 24th with a win. Good effort January 25th with a win. Then that February the 17th race, he draws the rail. He had a fine start, but he just saved ground inside. He was a couple lengths off. He has nowhere to go. And then he fades, and he comes back and runs well at the mile. You, you just, I think he has a little more trouble than it looks like on paper on the February 17th race. He just didn't really have anywhere to go, and then he faded. He just, he, he didn't fight a whole lot. That's fine. Victory element. We'll make our top selection in here. We'll use Victory Element in all exotics, and if you can get around 6 to 1 or so on Victory Element, that seems fair. Let's move to race number 8 for our next play for Thursday over at Oaklawn. Talked about the 3, talked about the 1 vault um, actually when uh, discussing one of the runners over at Gulfstream Park. Uh, I'll take the cake. Vault defeated that one two starts back. If you just toss the synthetic for Vault, I mean, it's hard to knock what this filly has done overall. She's extremely consistent. So if you're playing any kind of late exotics, I think you want to, yeah, you want to use her in, in every way, shape, or form. And then the three, Miss um, Bigley would be the other one as far as the price is concerned, right? So I, I would use the three with the one. If you key off the races. Going long on the main. What what has she done wrong? Put a line through that January 9th race. Put a line through that December 28th race. Those races were sprinting on the grass. Then look at how good the form looks, right? You've got a February 27th win going a mile 70 at fairgrounds. You've got a January 31st win going a mile uh, at fairgrounds. You have uh, the November 22nd race at Churchill, the first level allowance where you win by seven. Prior to that, you finish third behind a, a nice next out winner. Prior to that, you break your maiden at Indy on the main track. Miss Bigley, if she's five to one, this is just a that's way too high of a price on Miss Bigley. I know she's stepping up a little bit, and her numbers and figures aren't quite as good as some of the others in here, but I think she's in a great, great spot. So Miss Bigley, use her everywhere with the one vault. Those will be the two that we include in race number eight at Oaklawn. And then to close things out, I thought the four really looked like a standout in here. That's Union Ride. He came into the Deodoro Barn, came over to Oaklawn Park for the first time on April 9th. He had not raced since December the 15th. So, four months, he needs a little time, you know, he needs a race to get his best under him. And he actually ran really well. He was a step slow. He ended up seventh on the inside. He was like three, four lengths off. He was traveling well inside, nowhere to go. He finally got room late, but it was just much too late. And he was behind that town champ that we had talked about, the really, really sharp town champ. Every right to improve second start off the bench for a barn who's just continued to fire live horses all throughout the meeting union ride the number four on top in race number nine at oaklawn park so uh just to remind you uh oaklawn plays for thursday 
Fourth race to number nine, Kizzy B. Anything around seven to two or so. Uh, make sure to include the one no distortion in race five in your exotics. Should be around ten to one. In the six, the eleven victory element. Our value line is six to one. Probably five or six to one with the the eighth race too with the three Miss Bigley. Make sure to include with Vault. And then in the ninth to close things out, the number four Union Ride. That is Oaklawn for Thursday, April the thirtieth. Uh, let's get you on over to Gulfstream Park. Just a couple of uh, Gulfstream plays for Friday Because my focus is going to be a lot more on Oaklawn Park With their really good Friday card So at Gulfstream for Friday for May the 1st um, Let's go to race number 10 And the two races we're going to talk about Are just going to be races 10 and 11 Let's go to the number 6 in here Twice is Magical, 5-year-old mare She is going to be making her second start of 2020 and on April the 2nd when we saw her most recently She was sitting a close-up second She was pressing, she was within a length She moved to the lead But she was immediately tackled by the winner uh, Who got a good trip that day And twice as magical Was probably second best She got nipped late And she ends up finishing fourth But she was not beaten a whole heck of a lot By the second and third place finishers That was her first start since September So she probably just got a little bit tired late And she needed that race That race was against Open First Level Allowance Company Now she's facing Florida Reds She's back in here with the with State Bread Company So this is a notab- noticeable like, Class relief For Twice as Magical If we can get anything around 6-1 to one or so We'll take it on Twice as Magical In race number 10 At Gulfstream Park And then in race number 11 We'll try to close things out with the nine, Lady Noguez. So she's gonna go first start off the claim for Bob Hess Jr. and Gaffleone, right? So I think even if you're not someone who looks at races and you just play off of statistics and numbers, she's gonna be immediately going into a better barn and with a better jockey aboard. And and a barn who's actually really good first off the claim. Then if you watch her race, she just looks like she did, did doesn't get a whole lot of great rides. On April the 10th, it was a slow start She was last, she was 7th, she was about 5 lengths off She moves 3 deep for no reason I just don't know why she moved that early You could have been, if you're at the back of the pack Just save ground there at the back Why go early when you're sitting that trip That just never wins on the grass Losing ground all the way around Was 5 wide at the top of the lane And just legitimately trying hard And not a good ride Now you get the barn upgrade, you get the jock upgrade That's the 9, Lady Noguez If we can get anything around 4-1 to one or so So just those two plays at Gulfstream on Friday In the 10th race, the number 6 twice is magical In the 11th race, number 9, Lady Noguez Okay, let's close things out with Oaklawn Park for Friday These Oaklawn Friday, Saturday cards this weekend They are excellent um, Just, they look like Sort of like the some of the cards that we would Probably be dealing with if it was uh, Oaks and uh, and Derby Not quite as as many big stakes But the quality is there A lot of these legitimate horses In some of these uh, big allowance races So I'm going to start with uh, Oaklawn For Friday, May the 1st And we're going to get to race number 5 That's going to be my first play of the day At Oaklawn Let's go to the 12 DeGrom in here uh, he, He's drawn to the outside and he's now going to take a drop in class from 50 to the 32 claimers. He he began his April 18th race. He was 10th out of 12. He was about 10 lengths off. He was tucked inside. He had to angle five wide. He made a nice sustained rally. 
And he lost to a horse named Curlin Rules Who's like a high claiming allowance type horse And Curlin Rules was right on the front end that day it looks like this race is a big field You have Land of the Pharaohs, Malibu Pro Looking for 8, Futile There should be plenty of pace to sit off So we'll put DeGrom on top of the number 12 uh, If we can get around 3-1 to one or so That seems like the fair value I did think if anyone has the opportunity To steal the race and take the field gate to wire It is Futile Who's going to stretch back out And does have a little success going long The 3, Malibu Pro First off the claim for Diodoro Probably the 1... Like the measuring stick type horse in this race The one they'll all have to beat If nobody jumps up He'll probably win this race Let's go to race number 6 At Oaklawn uh, With the number 8 The Feature So his debut race was over at Hawthorne So you probably look at it and don't think it was the strongest field in the world But the top He was third, he was beating 11 lengths He actually got crossed over on at the start He was way slow, he was way out of it He was 10 plus And he didn't, you know, give up he actually ran really well to finish a solid third. The top two were way ahead, and they sat close. No, ch- uh, no chance to getting to them. And those top two were Marvin, who has come over to Oaklawn Park and has finished second and third against First Level Allowance Company. And the second place finisher in that race was Wild West, who is a maiden special weight winner next out. So the feature actually comes out of a pretty strong race. And this barn... Is cold right now, they're not winning a whole lot of races But they're capable, they do have Wins with horses off of this type of a layoff When you dig in and look at their stats From some of the last couple years So I think with the right type of horse They can get them ready to win Off the bench, this feels like the right Type of horse in this race I don't think there are any monsters in here The 10's probably the one to beat right? That's Onaway, who's another one Who comes out of a really strong race He debuted at Oaklawn on February the 15th the winner, Pneumatic, came back to win He's 2 for 2 Second place finisher, Skull Factor, came back to win a maiden special weight By 6.5 and, and the third place finisher, Liam's Pride Came back to win a maiden special weight And now uh, Onaway will be able to make His second start He should take a little step forward there He's he's probably the one to beat in here So I have the 8 over the 10 um, The 1 fast cash He was 5th on debut But he worked his way up to 3rd Early in the race, he was actually within two lengths But he had nowhere to go He got forced into a tight spot And then he ends up backing up a little bit The race was sneaky, it's better than it looks on paper The third place finisher in that race, Violent Pass He just came back to win a maiden special weight race Last week when he stretched out That was the horse that we put on top And he ended up winning at 25-1 to Paying like 53 bucks So that's not a bad race that Fast Cash is coming out of The four high proof Another one who, I mean, we talk about strong races, right? High Proof debuted on November the 23rd at Churchill Downs. He was in the slop. He was fifth. The first place finisher, Gold Street, won three in a row. The runner-up, Mayberry Deputy, came back to win uh, next out. The third place finisher, Major Fed, came back to win next out. And then he was second in the Risen Star and fourth in the Louisiana Derby. So that's a really strong race that High Proof comes out of. He's another one who should have every opportunity um, in career start number two. He just hasn't raced since November and... He, you know, Gold Gold Street won three in a row out of that race. Um, his next two, the twelve, Innis Gluere, beautifully bred horse. The dam was just under a million in earnings, nine for thirty-two. But when she was better going long, she was actually a multiple graded stakes winner. This guy's a half to Roan Irish, who was a two for eight, who actually won the Woodbine Oaks, and the half to Inequality, who was a nine-time winner. 
who earned 270 plus thousand and was third in the Jerome. The 12 wouldn't shock, but not an easy post for a first-time starter who probably wants to go a little longer, but has been working pretty steady. The nine's another one, right? Like, what's wrong with Super Constitution? This dam was a 16-time winner, earned over a million dollars, and was multiple graded stakes placed. She can win. Uh, he, he's got a shot in here. So I, I plagued this race 8-10-1-4-12-9. But the 8 and the 10, kind of the top tier, and uh, and maybe even the one like right behind them. If we can get around 10-1 to 1 or so on the feature. Talk about another wide-open betting race is the... Uh, the Arkansas Breeders Championship, which is race number seven at Oakland on Friday. I'm going to start with the nine, Bandit Point, who was fifth against Open Company most recently. And he saved ground. He was inside. He was fourth. He was a couple lengths off. He gets shuffled back. He loses two lengths. He ends up in the third flight, moved in between horses, tried to get off the rail, had nowhere to go, got stopped. Came on again, had already been dulled a little bit, but he still ducks to the inside, and he still keeps trying hard all the way and doesn't get outrun. Bandit Point, the number nine. Let's use him in all of our exotics. We'll make a win wager if we can get around five or six to one on Bandit Point. We have him on a top tier with the one promising shoes, who is another who just was not beaten a whole ton against Open Company last time out, and now should be able to save all the ground from the inside and come rolling late. When Promising Shoes lost to KJ's Nobility, it was sprinting, and it was also Promising Shoes' first start in seven months. He's much better going longer as he stretches back out now. This is his best shot for a big effort. The one Promising Shoes saves all the ground and comes running. No real knocks on KJ's nobility. He's ultra consistent. I think he's probably one to use in some of your exotics. Behind that, we have the two supercharger, who was super impressive in his first try going long. We have the four amazing vision, who's another one. If you put a line through the December race, which was this his last start of the year, and then he was off for a couple months after that, this guy's won four in a row. He just is really sharp right now. And and then Heritage Park. He might be the quickest in here. He's stretching out from six furlongs. He's going to try to steal the race. If anyone can take this field gate to wire or maybe spice up some of your exotics at a price from showing some speed early, I think it is Heritage Park. So we have nine, one, three, two, four, eight in a crazy wide open Arkansas Breeders Championship there with a nine. Bandit point on top. Let's go to race number eight. This is the Gardenia loaded field. And I'm I'm against Gingham in here. That's the Baffert. Uh, Gingham, who was a clear-cut second, who was outrun by Venetian Harbor, who we're going to see in race number nine. Gingham's going to add the blinkers. I just think she's okay. And I think there are a couple other fillies in here that I, I like their upside a little bit more. So for me, I'm, I'm taking a shot against Gingham in this race. Let's go to the five Daphne Moon. Debut winner at Saratoga. Comes back in the grade one for Zet, and she had legitimate trouble. She has a slow start. She gets stuck 6th of 7th on the inside, chasing a lone speed winner. Then on December the 7th, outrun, wide at the back of the pack, just never got involved, never got into it. Again, chasing a you know kind of lone speed winner under slow fractions. Comes back on March the 29th. 
She's a step slow from the inside Then she settles, she's fourth, she's a couple lengths off She tucks in um, She moves early in between and three wide Takes the lead, has to deal with the challenge Of Jilted Bride uh, in the stretch And puts that one away And that was her first start in a few months I like Daphne Moon, I like the trip that she sat Last time out I'm hoping she can And she was probably a little fresh and wanting to go Because she was off the bench for a few months I'm expecting her to be even a little more relaxed here She will not necessarily be stuck inside Maybe she'll be able to pick and choose her spot a little bit better Daphne Moon will be the top selection And a horse that I single in one of the late pick fours That I'm going to put up The 10 Antoinette will be uh, the really live And in my second selection in here She had a good start from the inside She wanted to get off the rail But she got stuck inside She was up on the heels of a rival She got pinned in with absolutely nowhere to go She was loaded She had to wait till mid-stretch But it was way too late at that point As uh, Bonnie South had already rolled by there And Antoinette was making her first start since December She has every right to improve a little bit Off of that effort against this group That's the number 10 Antoinette, make sure to use her In a lot of your exotics here The six horse quick decision will stretch out After a couple sprint wins She was asked for some speed in between horses On April the 2nd And she actually sat second, she sat a length off She hulls off a challenge And then she moves to the lead It was good Strong Flag was a second behind Peace of My Heart I actually prefer Strong Flag a little bit In this spot because I think there'll be a little more speed to chase And she'll probably have a better opportunity Than Peace of My Heart Who had to, who kind of got a great trip and moved early into it. it was a really good ride But I do think both of them make sense And then you know if you want to go a little deeper Maybe Gingham But the way that I'm playing this race is 5 As you know maybe a single and some exotics And then I have 5, 10, 6, 7 As my top tier And then uh, the two right behind them And the three as the horse I'm trying to beat But I would use underneath I'm just trying to beat Gingham on the win end here The number five will be a single in some of the late exotics That's Daphne Moon if we can get anything around Five to two In Oakland's ninth race A loaded fantasy The grade three fantasy I'm going to begin with a couple price horses But let's... That's what I'm going to have on top You have to start with Venetian Harbor Who I'm not against But I'm not a singling her in here She flew early In the Lost Virginist She slows things down And then she rebids And she kicks clear And she puts them all away She is a monster filly Who has won by 9 and a quarter And 10 and 3 quarter lengths In her last two starts Really really nice I just I don't have any knocks on her. The only knock is that you know in a big field like this, you might be catching a good amount of other early speed. Might have to deal with a horse like, you know, like Swiss Skydriver showed speed, but it wasn't. She's not really that quick. Lake Avenue has a little more speed than she was able to show. Uh, Ringleader is like a major pace factor, and she's kind of quirky. She's stretching out from a sprint. She should be right on the engine and really making things difficult for Venetian Harbor. Um. Wouldn't be shocked to see uh, you know, One or two of the outside horses Like Lady Daisy have to go So I just think Venetian Harbor Is going to have to be ready for the, the Toughest test that she's faced so far So we can use her Because we're going to play against in Some of the late exotics Because we're going to play against the Baffert in race number 8 So for me my top tier Is 4, 5, 11, 2 And The 4 Lake Avenue She was 3rd in the Gulfstream Parks Oaks after like a really disappointing fourth in the busher 
And in, at Gulfstream, she was in tight. She was at the start. She was in between horses. She had some traffic. And then again, she was in tight and was shuffled a bit. She makes a three wide bid at the top of the lane. She got up to within two. She ends up just missing second that day in the race that Swiss Skydriver was able to really slow things down and go 49 to the half mile. I mean, Harvey's little Goyle has been really good. So let's go with the the Mott horses on top, right? I think if you're Mott, you have to say, hey, Johnny V, like, get Lake Avenue into this race a little more early, right? Put her in, put her into this race, and and it'll complement Harvey's little Goyle, who's going to come from off the pace. She missed the break in the Busanda. She then pushed four wide into the turn. It was a really small field. She's wide all the way around, losing ground, and she makes a big early move to the lead and absolutely crushed that group. And Water White came back to win out of that race And win the Busher um, So I think, I mean, Harvey's Little Goyle To me, very, very live And then the other, the uh, the 11 What's wrong with Fire Coral? She, I mean, you can put a line through Her debut race She's in the slop, let's just excuse her for it Comes back on January the 31st at Oaklawn Maiden Special Weight winner Comes back on March uh, in March at Oaklawn Park I really like that effort she broke well and she got the lead without really being asked I don't think she's going to be on the lead in here But I, I like to know that she has enough kind of Tactical speed to put herself In a good position So 4, 5, 11, 2 I mean and, and then you get to British Idiom Who I just don't want to take a short Price on British Idiom Because I have to see that she's improved From You know last year to this year she was kind of all over the place in the first quarter mile She was on the heels of arrival She kind of got shifted, had to shift course a few times She settles three wide She's hard ridden early She's four wide at the top of the lane She never really looked great She still was able to just finish second on her class And the winner finite had opened up that day So I'm, I'm not completely against her But I don't want to just take a short price on her I'm, I think you have a, a plenty of price horses to take a look at That are a lot more fun And then the three Swiss Skydiver would be, you know, I have this four, five, eleven, two, and then maybe ten and three is my next tier of horses right below. So Swiss Skydriver kind of in the same tier with uh, with British Idiom. Swiss, Swiss Skydriver doesn't need the lead; she just kind of got the lead. Uh, she was a step slow, and then she shot to the lead in between horses. Nobody else pushed the pace. It was a really good wide ride. Uh, she put him to sleep that day, and um, really slow fractions. 4, 5, 11, 2, 10, 3 in that ninth race at Oaklawn. But uh, the, the horses that I really want you to circle and keep an eye on what price they are are the 4, 5, and 11. Um, any of them, you know, in the double digit range should be solid value against this group. The 10th race at Oaklawn to close things out, not really too outside the box. The 10 unique factor. Stretched out to the, the mile and the 16th But I'm going to key off that May, uh, March 27th race Two back Win second Win in front of Wholehearted that day Just a, a repeat of that performance Makes Unique Factor Big player in here Against some similar foes At the sprint distance So let's use the 10 Unique Factor I think you have to use the 6 Spend, spend, spend In all of your exotics First off the claim for Baltus This one was very competitive in Southern California Has never really run a bad race Wholehearted looks like the one to beat After heading over to Will Rogers and winning that stakes race On March the 27th She was chasing the lone speed winner Sunny Dale so it just wasn't a race That shaped up all that well for her Or really for Unique Factor that day I mean the one Miss Imperial Really sharp 
and in great form, looking for her fourth in a row. La Chancla, if you want to go a little bit deeper, now comes into the Asmussen barn, uh, makes the first start for the uh, the new connections. I was 10-6-7-1-8 there at Oaklawn Park in race number 10. So let's get you to the, the place for Oaklawn on May the 1st. In the fifth race, I'm going to play a pick three. Uh, we'll single the 12 to Grom, and then we can spread out in the next two races. So it'll be 12 with... 1, 4, 8, 9, 10, 12 with 1, 2, 3, 4, 8, 9 and then maybe another pick 3 uh, something like 3, 10, 12 with 1, 8, 10 with 1, 3, 9 that's in the 5th in the 7th we got the late pick 4 we'll play a pick 4 where we single Daphne Moon and this one will start in the race number 7 it'll go 1, 2, 3, 4, 8, 9 with the 5 with the 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 11 with the 1, 6, 7, 8, 10 and then we'll play another uh, backup pick 4 ticket that will uh, go 1, 3, 9 with 5, 6, 7, 10 with 2, 4, 5, 11 with 1, 6, 7, 10 that's Oaklawn late pick 4 so horses to include throughout the card at Oaklawn 5th race to number 12 DeGrom 3 to 1 is the value line for us 6th race to number 8 the feature 10 to 1 is the value line 7th race to number 9 Bandit Point 6 to 1 seems fair on him Eighth race, the five Daphne Moon will single in late exotics, five to two or so. Make sure to look at the prices in the ninth race of the four Lake Avenue, the five Harvey's Little Goyle, and the 11 file cor- Fire Coral. And in the tenth race, the number 10 unique factor. Include that one if you can get around six, eight to one, a win wager. That's Oaklawn for Friday. Best of luck. On a really nice Friday card at Oaklawn. We'll get you back uh, in just a few days with Saturday horse racing. Sunday horse racing. We're going to have Craig Milkowski on to talk about the Oaklawn stakes races. The two Arkansas derbies and uh, maybe one or two of the other stakes races there. We're going to recap WrestleMania 8 with Darren Zocali and with Andrew Champagne. We're going to talk with uh, Tyler Herringer from Sarah Candles. We're going to talk with him a little bit about uh, some of his... uh, teams that he thought did really well in the NFL draft and and how uh, he's living the quarantine life and we'll do some last dance the recap episodes three and four of the Bulls documentary thanks for tuning in folks don't forget to go subscribe rate and review anywhere you can YouTube SoundCloud iTunes Google Podcast Spreaker we are all over the place on that's what G said Joey my friend close us out